Turkey hunting is one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt when I'm hunting turkeys. It is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting into go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel from merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt. First Light, go farther, stay longer. Phil, start the machine up. <laughs> machine is started. Okay, the machine is started. Now explain this again. Explain the sentence he used when you were turkey hunting. He said, he said. This is Michael Waddell, the pecan farmer. I made the comment to a great friend of mine out, actually from Wisconsin, who's in Montana. He's an outfitter now. And he says, and I make a comment to one of our producers. I say, hey, buddy, you need to, let's roll. I said, this ain't tiddlywinks. We got to get out there in the snow and get a turkey. And the outfitter jumps up, a big brawny guy. Now, this guy's probably 260, big, big brawny shoulder guy. Looks like he should have played NFL. And he said, don't make fun of tiddlywinks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, man, what are you talking about? He said, I was, he said, I'm a world champion. Right. You're like the child's game, tiddlywinks. Tiddlywinks. I didn't even know there was a, a game. a tiddler and a winker? There's a tiddler and a winker. That's something like you go to jail for. <laughs> I don't even know in today's society if you can say somebody's a tiddler no more. But, but what is the game? Th- it's like it was, he, he brings out his wife, go to the closet, Gertrude, and get the, he brings out a piece <laughs> of felt and it looks like a, uh, like a board and it's got these little plastic things and these tink think with his hand and he takes another piece of plastic that's in there and he's, he's winking it or tiddling it to so anyway now my I whole understand. life and they beat some French guys at it yeah he said no, he's a world cool. champion he said yeah we had these French guys come in and we just throttled them roasted them <laughs> go back to France and some French fries 
I'm glad. No, I'm glad to hear yeah. that. The, yeah, the, I, the Americans bested the French at that. Yeah, we, we I didn't know it was a thing. I didn't know we had world champions in Montana. I got to confess something to you. Yeah. We used the same. I, I stole it from a movie. I think this is gonna this is gonna be horrible to you because we'll say, are we here to turkey hunt or whistle Dixie? Whistle. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I know what the hell where that comes from. The whistle it's a movie. Dixie. Yeah, there's a movie. There's like a western or something. We're some... outlaw Josie Wales. Oh, is that that's what right. it is? Oh yeah. What's the context? Does that mean you're lying? You're no, it's like, are you here to throw down? Like, do you want to get serious, or you want to whistle right. Dixie? Oh, like, because right. he was a, he was from the Confederacy. Yes, yeah. Josie. So who says it to who? Josie uh, is in a. There's a potential confrontation happening, right? Yeah. And he's staring these guys down, who are obviously starting to kind of second guess their. Oh, and he says they're like, "Do I actually want to die at the hands of Clint Eastwood right now?" Exactly. Yeah. Definition yep. is yeah. if you engage in unrealistic or hopeful fantasizing. An example would be, "Ooh, this uh, is deeper than I thought." Ooh. If you think you can drive there in two hours, then you're whistling Dixie. Mm. Like they'd never best the North. Yeah, maybe, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> right. But in in that movie, especially, but right? He, it's like I don't understand uh, because you, he was. Okay, you're right. on to something, Steve. It says this idiom alludes to the song Dixie and the vain hope that the Confederacy, known as Dixie, would win the Civil War. But Josie yeah. Wales was a Confederate soldier. Yeah, now Correct. just an outlaw. Now an right? turned outlaw. But he's saying, right? He's saying you want to get serious. Or you want to whistle Dixie, which then becomes a double entendre, right? Because you're going to say, like, pledge allegiance to my side by whistling Dixie. Or oh. it's pretty deep. Because <laughs> he was after the, who were the bad, the red? The red legs. Red legs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. The red legs were the bad. But you know why that that uh, that movie had a number of great lines, but the most famous line of all that overshadows all other lines in that movie is when he uh, has a big chaw backy. That's just, Seth, that means a large amount of chewing tobacco in his mouth. I know, I used to do that. Um, <laughs> he spits it on a man who he's just killed. Yep. And and, and his compatriot says to him, uh, aren't we going to bury them? To which he replies, Cal? Like the crows and the coyotes got to eat too? No. Buzzards got to eat. Same as worms. Oh, yeah. There you go. That's, That's right. Yeah. It's funny. I just watched this movie the other day, too. For the first time? No, I've oh, seen okay. it a lot, but it was actually my son. He was home from college, and I was talking to him. He's 21. I said, have you ever seen Outlaw Josie Wales? He said, no. So me and my other son, two of my sons sat and watched it. And oh, they were great. like, they're, I mean, it was like blown away. Yeah, you know, <laughs> what my, a hell of my, a movie. My kid would really like it. My 11-year-old, yeah. he'd be ready for Outlaw Josie He would like Josie and he could Wales. watch it. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, not, it's not G-rated, but it dang show... It's good from the standpoint of what all he went through. And it's a pretty deep movie. Like I said, it's, it's deeper than just... Yeah, oh, no, there's a lot yeah, there, yeah. man, yeah. Um, I tuned my boy into uh, Zero Dark Thirty and forgot that it begins with a very prolonged uh, waterboarding session. He, uh, like... What do you think of that? He he didn't finish her. Didn't really? finish her up. Oh, we're going to reapproach it in a decade. Yeah, I would. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm not alone in, in like quote movie lines and just assume everybody around you is supposed to understand. Like I told my wife the other day, we we're sitting there eating supper, and my my kid had said he plays guitar, and he's like, I want to, I want to let's go jam, Dad. And I said, Hey, you know what? I'm calling the boys. And Christy, my wife, like, no, no, it's it's already eight o'clock. And I said, All you got to do is put some damn chips in a bowl. 
You remember Sling Blade? Sling Blade. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was Dwight Yoakam's Dwight Yoakam, yeah. when he's sitting there, man, he's right. like, you know what? That's it. I'm calling the boys. So, oh. call, you know, we're going to make some music. In the, right. and, 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 and my wife bit perfect. And I told her, all you got to do is throw some chips in a bowl. Okay, we got a, a delayed introductions for uh, Giannis Patella Sr. Michael Waddell, the, 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 I, I understand now, pecan farmer. Pecan farmer. Out, outdoor once upon a time outdoor I personality. I used to work in the hunting space. Now, now you're working the pecan space. I just I got overalls typically on, sit in a cafe, drink coffee, and talk about my crop. Yep. <laughs> so uh, Cal was asking you, you guys, I grew up pecan. I right. don't know why. Right. You guys grew I up d- pecan? No. I actually, to be honest with you, I'm from Georgia, and I realized once I got into the farming that most of the farmers who make a lot of money, I asked them, I said, what do you call them? Is it a pecan or a pecan? And I had two of the the biggest pecan farmers in Georgia said it's it's pecan boy. And I said, well, how much did you do last year? One guy named Joey Collins, who's a good friend of mine, has been my mentor. He said, well, we we did about I don't know three or four million pounds last year of pecans. And I said, so that's two dollars a pound. I'm trying to do the math. So yeah. I'm thinking, okay, he's a wealthy guy. I said, I think I got pecans. <laughs> I don't know if I got pecans anymore. I got pecans just like y'all. And so he happens to be the guy who buys. My pecan, so oh, it's always right? up in the air. So but I'm following it... the money, man. I'm going like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going like Little Wayne and Jay Z. I'm, ch- I'm, I'm, I'm calling it what they would call it, and I think they would call it pecan under the situation. So you had, uh, did you buy an existing orchard, or did you trying to start one? No, I did. I bought an existing orchard. So, so my wife and I had a, a farm out in Kansas that I'd bought just for an investment in to hunt, and uh, loved that state, loved the resources there, and so I ended up selling it, and so I kind of wanted a place around my house in Georgia. And of course, land's a lot more expensive there than it even is out in Kansas. And so there was a track of land I was looking at at the time. It was about 200 acres. And um, anyway, and I got to looking at it and said, man, this is an old pecan orchard. And I knew nothing about it other than the fact I love pecan pie, you know. And so I got to <laughs> cleaning it up and my wife was dead against it because it looked terrible. It was grown up and it just decrepit old grown up orchard. Like not being harvested. Not being harvested. They had been planted back in our area. There's a family called the Callaways that were very much like the Vanderbilts or the Rockefellers, very successful back back in the Great Depression, even going back to the 1900s. And they had at one time around 30,000, 40,000 acres. So they had planted these trees back in the 40s. So they're uh-huh. very, very old. And so uh, we cleaned the orchard up and we just wanted to homestead there and build a house and that's where we wanted to live and so in the process of cleaning it up and me and my dad just bush hogging and working and getting a skid steer with a mulching head and just cleaning it up making it look nice it you could tell at that point we had you know a lot of healthy pecan trees and so then i started calling around and, and like you and all of us here we meet so many people across the country and down south in georgia georgia might be somebody can correct me if i'm wrong but I know it's one of the top producers of pecans. I know Texas is big, Oklahoma, but Georgia might be the number one. And so obviously there was a lot of knowledge just south of me. Yep. So ended up of all people, Luke Bryan, who's a you know a huge star now, his dad is one of the leading kind of guys in chemical and fertilizer. And he's got, he's, you know, down south, we still got a lot of cotton, a lot of peanuts and things like that, even some tobacco and stuff like that. And so anyway, I talked to him and he got me on the right track, and then I had another buddy I turkey hunted with a lot down in South Georgia who was a big farmer. And so got on the right track, and we started making, you know, a crop. However, right. I could have bought another bigger farm in Kentucky for what I put in equipment. <laughs> and so I'm still trying to see a profit. But anyway, at least I well, can cool, though, truly, you well, know, have a gate card and you have know, the, fun. The, the fewer nuts you produce, 
the fancier your packaging has to be. I think you're right. That's right. You're going to do like artisan. Yeah, you got to have a story, man. I I know. There's only six nuts in this bag. Exactly. (laughs) Look at my hat, though. It's so cool, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I'm learning. And it's so frustrating, man. I I learn a lot, you know, and obviously growing up, you know, hunting and fishing, I'd always be in food plots and and planning and, and trying to put back, you know, to the resources that we like to hunt. But I just realized there's a whole nother game when you're trying to produce a crop, especially for the community. And I found out, too, that most of our crop of pecans goes to Asia. I guess hmm. they, they really? go everywhere. And so it was, uh, it was a learning curve, say do, the least. You know? Do the squirrels like that? that Lord, let me just tell you something. <laughs> no, I got to imagine. If you boys ever want squirrels to eat, y'all come to my house. I got oh, really? it. I was just telling Corinne, I, I, I just got my little boy a little squirrel dog. I went out to Missouri and bought him a little squirrel dog. And, cool. Uh, and, dude, I've had more fun with that dog, especially around the edges of that orchard, because it's just a plethora. It's like a state park, you know. They, they're That's out there awesome. trying to get these pecans. So it's so you're in that stage of life where you can pretty much do whatever you want as long as you say it's for the boys. Be like, yeah, got to watch Outlaw Josie Wales. I am. You know, got it. Got to in that stage. Trying to work. I'm but, trying to work. Know, some things are more important. I am. And, and it's funny. I, I, I've met a lot of people over the years. That's a funny subject because I— you know, over the span of my career, you, know, you meet a lot of people, but I remember at different shows, like he and I met years ago. Yeah, at yeah. The, oh, know, yeah, Seth started, started out where Seth, what, what you, you showed, uh, I showed Mr. I showed, Waddell a picture of yeah, you and him. I showed Michael a picture of, it was me, Michael, Nick Mont, and T-Bone at the Harrisburg Great American Outdoor Show, and now I think I was like 16 or 17 years old. You could have made him yeah. feel really awkward by acting disappointed that he didn't remember. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I think that's why he didn't bring in the framed copy <laughs> on his phone. Yeah, uh, yeah, like, oh, you don't recognize me? <laughs> I, looked, I looked back. a lot different you back then. You did look a lot yeah. different, yeah. Uh, but, I, but I remember going to these shows, and, and you have somebody come by, Stephen, I'm sure you've seen this happen, like a, a young couple, and they have a kid, and maybe a two-year-old son, and they'll have a brand new Hoyt bow or a set of clothing that is just insane. I'm like, man, you're going to really enjoy that. You're going to love that new bow. That's a new RX-5. What are you going to love? It? No, ain't for me. <laughs> <laughs> love this kid. He changed my life. <laughs> you know, he's two. He can't even eat milk duds alone. You know? so, yeah. I'm just going to get it broken yeah. in. Yeah. Best That's... payback for our, for our ladies always finding things on sale that really wasn't on sale, you know, so. Uh, oh, speaking of kids, that was a good transition. Um, Doug Dern heard my spirited um, gripe with skiing, which I'll have to point out. I'm only mad about skiing because my wife enrolled my kids in nine consecutive Saturdays of ski club, which means there's nine Saturdays that you can't ice fish. Every Saturday when I want to ice fish, she goes, well, I already paid. And I was griping that I didn't have anyone to pay to go ice fishing. So I can't use like a similar... There's no one to pay. And I was like, I, I'm going to find a way next year to pay for like 30 days of ice fishing. And I'd be right. like, I already paid. Uh, sorry. You can pay me. They're going to have to go. And that's, um, that somehow spiraled into you getting mad at the phenomenon of, gra- I got, of gravity itself. Then I got mad about gravity <laughs> yeah. and skiing. Now, Doug Duran heard this and sent my wife um, a big text, like this heartfelt text message about he never skied and he moved to New Hampshire and learned to ski and... How great it is that she, this and that, and she shows me the text, but her reply is, uh, Steve can suck it. (laughs) I'm tweeting right now, skiing took Sonny Bono as well as ice fishing. (laughs) So that could be our new t-shirt. 
Uh, oh, here's another ice fishing thing. Phil, okay. You, you ready to play this clip, Phil? Yeah. I just learned today. Now, my agent who has ice fished one time in his life, unsuccessfully, I'll point out that I was his guide, uh, <laughs> sent me this ice fishing article. And then I learned that everybody already knows about the ice fishing article. Yeah, you can't miss but it. But I'm trusting that someone out there doesn't know about it. That you're looking at him right here. I'm from oh, Georgia. So you don't so. know about yeah. <laughs> Oh, would you agree with this statement? Okay. Would you agree? I have a friend from central southern Illinois. Okay. Who likes to think he's from the south. Right. I was saying him saying to him, if you live in a state where ice fishing occurs, you are not in the south. Is that fair? That's true. And, okay. and that's where <laughs> and that's where Abraham Lincoln was born. He can't claim to be a rebel. That's what I told him. I said, land of Lincoln, and they ice fish there. There's yeah. like two things. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, it's funny. I have a friend, Mike Scobie, who lives here in Bozeman. He sends me videos of his kids ice skating. And my kids are more intrigued to look at those videos than they would be of something of Walt Disney. I mean, it's like <laughs> it's like a unicorn's going to come running across. You're, and you're right. It's because in my life, I'm 48 now. I've never in my life seen a frozen lake or even a pond in Georgia. Not yeah. once. Okay. I'm talking about not even – I mean, you might see some ice on the edge. It'll get 20 – did you I guys get? I hope Stu Miller's that, listening right now. Yeah. A little bit of snow, though. Yeah, uh, we'll get a little bit of snow. And let me just tell y'all: and when y'all see the forecast, go ahead, y'all welcome to come stay at my house because it's the most entertaining thing you've ever seen. <laughs> Every redneck, we got car hoods and makeshift sleds because you can't go to the local sporting <laughs> store and buy a toboggan, right? And dude, it you gotta is unbolt your hood. Man, no milk, no bread, no gasoline. Everybody's barbecuing. It is a party. You think Elvis has come back from the grave? It's, it's that fun, and I'm not lying. Uh, so this town, Phil's going to play this clip. This town in Ohio, uh, has the thing where they're trying to get ice fishing to be allowed at a local park and they have a mayor who has a very spirited argument about why (laughs) they, why the slippery slope that would occur. Should you be able to start ice fishing at the park? Well, this, this pond, you, you like in the years past, you can ice fish it. And then all of a sudden they just threw a sign up that says you can't. It'd be like when the pandemic started and Washington State said you can't fish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny, right? I mean... You can golf, but you can't fish. Yeah. I think uh, instead of spirited, I think it puts it in a better perspective to say logical yeah. explanation of why you can't ice fish. And it lets people understand that uh, there's a lot of different forms of logic out there. Yeah. All right. Let yeah. it rip, Phil. I want to hear it too, just because I can have another chuckle. Additionally, if you open this up to ice fishing, while on the surface it sounds good, then what happens next year? Does someone come back and say, I want an ice shanty on Hudson Springs Park for X amount of time? And if you then allow ice fishing with shanties, then that leads to another problem. Prostitution. (laughs) (laughs) Hey! I was not ready for that. Just data points to consider. Just data points to consider. He's like, like, I rest my case. Just data. These are data points to consider. This is like a Saturday Night Live sketch. Yeah, he's dead serious. But this guy, see, Corinne was pointing out, this guy's got like, 
he's like one of those dudes that sort of rails against something, but he's got like, actually he's the one that has the problem because he had this other, he got all kinds of other trouble because he's railing about these like pornographic books being taught to kids, but then it turns out they're not being taught to kids in his school. He's just like, his head just immediately goes. <laughs> this dude looks at porn every night. Oh, yeah. He's this, got an addiction. He just don't want to say yeah, it, talk about not, it, right? This dude's head immediately goes like where it goes. But to his defense, I should have, if I was in the city council or whatever, I would have raised my hand and said, that's stupid. But, when I was in high school, kids that didn't have like that, like if you had kids that you could go down in your basement with your girlfriend and no one's going to come down there because your parents are going to be like, oh, I totally respect your space. And then you had parents that are going to come down there every three seconds. Anybody want some popcorn? Right. The kids that could not have privacy, them and their girlfriends took up ice fishing. Mm. Yeah. You like drag a big shanty out on the ice, be like, oh, you know, me and Susie are going ice fishing. Was that you? No one ever questions it. I'm not saying. Just saying. <laughs> it was a thing that happened. You took up ice fishing. Ice fishing again, huh? And from there, a prostitution ring starts? <laughs> yeah, like, I'm not exactly. Well, that's why I said I would have raised They're my hand. just data points to consider. I would have raised my hand and said, that is stupid. However, it does make me think of yeah. this. There, there was an article on the, it was supposed to be on the psychology of trophy hunting. Mm-hmm. Right, and uh, you start reading this article, and immediately you're like, "Well, this is just an anti-hunting article in general." Masquerading is something, yes. Yeah. But you know, you're almost done at that point. And the second to last paragraph, it says, "Now it's important to note that none of the the data, the testing involved in this article was performed on actual trophy hunters." So it is not relevant. (laughs) However, if you have the opinion that uh, you do not like trophy hunting, it can be relevant. (laughs) That is confusing. (laughs) Right. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I lay all this out for you because if you want it to be supportive, even though it is factless and baseless, Mm -hmm. you can use this to support your argument. Maybe like if I came to you and I was like, I'm doing a, some research on prostitution. If you were a prostitute, yeah. <laughs> would you? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'd be like, well. Then I published my results. <laughs> that's interesting. But I do have a, uh, this now many, many published uh, video of this city councilman or mayor. Uh, and uh, that's the fact that I'm going to use. Mm-hmm. This guy's a mayor. Yeah. It is odd, though. I did go to International Falls one time to fish, and I met Bill Cosby, Harvey Weinstein there, and it makes me wonder, <laughs> uh, what's going what on? Is you that knock, Charlie Sheen? You knock on the shanty door, and they come out. What are you guys doing yeah, here? Yeah, that's the first time I ever saw Charlie standing inside one of those, those, those ice shanties holding that fastball. Remember that baseball? I'm like, Charlie, what you, ice fishing? No. <laughs> you what? didn't hear the mayor? Yeah. I got it. Um, uh, your, what's your wall tent? Montana canvas. Dude. I went down to have a, I don't want to say what I did because I had a, they, they don't, they're not looking for custom projects. Yep. I'm just pointing this out. I had a custom project done at Montana Canvas and those are the nicest dudes on the planet. Very helpful dudes. Nicest dudes on yeah. the planet. If you're in the market, they make wall tents of many varieties. If you're in the market for a wall tent, I would go down there. You go into that place, I didn't know, like you drive by it all the time because it's on the highway. Mm-hmm. Man, they got a million people in there stitching away. 
making them right there. When I went there to pick up that wall tent, there was like five dudes that came out and were like, let me help you load this. Really? Yeah. Nicest guys on the planet. Yep. They loaded Montana it. I never touched the box. They loaded making, it up. Yeah. Making uh, beautiful wall tents. I liked them so damn much. I want to buy one of their wall tents. I'm still, I got it. I keep in the catalog on you my should. workbench. I spend a lot of days in mine every year. No one needs to comment on this, but uh, one day I got real mad at the, uh, you know, those SpaceX, those Starlink satellites, because they kind of messed up the whole night sky for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like you'd be sitting there turkey hunting, trying to watch the stars, and you see these damn things. That's the first time I saw them. I was sitting around a campfire at Turkey Camp out in eastern Montana, and I thought the world was ending. Yeah. yeah. You I know looked up and saw that. You know what I'm glad about? Um, a solar storm killed 40 out of 49 of them. Whoa. <laughs> $100 million of damage. Ooh. Now they're going to like fall back to and burn up in the atmosphere. So now they're going to, this time when they're messing up the night sky, I'll be like, nah. <laughs> It'll be like a meteor shower. Those, 100 uh, million bucks worth of satellites burning up in the uh, as they re-enter orbit. Full of uh, rare earth minerals. It's <laughs> 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 like... Well, what is that? Have you seen that? Don't look up yet. Yeah. Oh, oh no, yeah, I haven't, I haven't yeah, seen that's pretty that. good. Oh, it's it. good. It's pretty yeah. good. I saw those, but I was drinking bourbon that night, and I wasn't sure. I thought it was a firework <laughs> show. I wasn't sure. Yeah. Expensive fireworks. All the stars were moving. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is going to be something we're going to have to come back to later because Corinne's not sure if it happened or not yet. But uh, you know, he's had Hampton sides on, and he's working on a book about Captain Cook. Yes. They might have found his ship. I didn't know it was missing. But they might have found his ship. Did you know it was missing? Captain Cook's ship? Is that the... I didn't. The Endeavor. The pirate... The ende- oh, uh. No, he was like... No, not... You're thinking Captain Hook. I'm, no, I'm thinking... <laughs> what was that one? I'm thinking the one where they were, the pirates are... They're protecting the ship. What was that one that was... Uh, yeah, and the kid's got the pixie dust and flies around with... The- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen that too. <laughs> Michael's like, no, I met that guy. Yeah, I remember Dr. Hook. Captain... <laughs> Captain Cook, <laughs> Captain Cook was, I don't know what happened to him. Like, this thing is, I just know that he gets killed in Hawaii, stabbed mm-hmm. in the surf. But I never thought about what happened to his ship after that. But apparently it goes missing. So this is way, way back. I mean, this is like. I don't know. What the hell year did Captain, Captain Hook? Cook, Cook. <laughs> what year did Captain Cook get killed? We got to clear a few things up. Okay, Dr. Hook had a, a band. I know them. <laughs> Traveling Dr. Medicine Hook. Show. Yeah. Okay. Great band. Yep. Captain Hook he is a it. fictional I, captain. I did meet him at Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> He's never got older. He's still doing good. Still looking. But we're talking about Captain Cook, who uh, was, I guess, like the the like a national hero, right, for England, and discovered all these new lands, including the Sandwich Island Islands, which is the island chain of Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I always screw that up. I, yeah, I keep learning that and forgetting it. Yeah, it's a funny one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like when you see a reference to the Sandwich Islands in history, the, the, that's what they're talking about. But Captain Cook's journey ended there in Hawaii, and then his ship and crew continued on. Uh, I didn't under was it scuttled? Did they lose it in a in a storm? I didn't understand that it was lost. I I thought. Maybe it was purposely sunk out there. But. From an article in The Guardian, it says it was scuttled in Newport Harbor by British forces in 1778 during the American War of Independence. That's right. Blocked wow. block the harbor. Well, but why are the Australians mad then? They're just mad to still wear a mask, I think, right now. <laughs> I think that's their, their pistol. Oh, I would be, listen, too. Listen, this, okay, like, you know, it's like a joint group 
working on recovering bits and pieces and saying for sure, mm. this is the endeavor, yep. even though there's a bunch of ships scuttled out there. Got it. Um, the reason that the Australian National Maritime Museum is, is, uh, in a beef over this thing is because even though they're a joint group, they came out and they said, this is for sure the endeavor, mm. even though the joint group is pretty sure, but others in the group are saying, uh, we still got a little gotcha. discovery. They thought it. the Aussies jumped the gun on the whole thing. Yeah. Can you tell I didn't read the article? <laughs> <laughs> it's not obvious, is it? And I correct myself that the the Aussie people are not aggravated. I'm sure it's their government still <laughs> frustrated about something. Oh, there. man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, this is good. This is a, this is a joke, right? We're talking about how to score a squirrel, Boone and Crockett, how to get a Boone and Crockett score off a squirrel, and the guy wrote in a little diagram showing how to score it. Are you serious? He, th- you got he says he found it years ago. So it's length of a buck squirrel, forehead to tip of tail, length of head behind the ears to the tip of the nose, testicular circumference. Ooh. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> a plus B plus C equals... Your squirrel's nut and chatter score. Now, here's my issue with the. <laughs> you don't think this is a good way of doing it? Well, well the, as we've discussed, might when be it come, where pecan came from. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, have you ever heard that uh, some squirrels will bite the nuts off of other squirrels? Oh, here yeah. we go. You oh, you know about that. this? I have heard that. Oh, yeah, yeah I have heard that. They yeah. castrate you know, out of dominance or. Sure. Or, yeah, sure. I've heard that. Yeah. Well, here's my issue with, with this scoring is that it measures. He went and talked to a bunch of egghead scientists who told him that <laughs> squirrels don't do that. Uh-huh. I was going to say, I, I can't say I remember ever dressing a squirrel and like, yep. <laughs> they got I might as, chewed them off. As right the off. squirrel doctor, John Kaprowski, told us on this podcast, they don't chew the nuts off of other squirrels, but their nuts are always ascending or descending up into their abdomen. So at any point during squirrel season, you got a percentage of squirrels running around out there who don't have visible Not nuts right to now because it's a squirrel rut right now. Well, not right now. That's right. But uh, like in fall, they, they have their nuts up in their abdomen for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but there's a big percentage of turkeys that don't have spurs, and you like to yeah. uh, score those things. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, but you wouldn't like kill a whitetail in March and then be like, well, he's a zero because he doesn't have his antlers on That's his head. That's a good point. And it wouldn't be fair to score <laughs> a southern man ice fishing for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, that'd be unfair. <laughs> I like the rest of it, but don't agree with that measure. <laughs> uh, oh, here's another news item. I've heard about this before. There's a there's a plant that people plant in their yards. It's like a highly toxic to wildlife, and they just had five otherwise healthy elk died in the Wood River Valley, Cal's old stomping grounds, north of Haley in Idaho, where First Light is headquarters. Someone points out, eating ornamental landscaping. The yew plant, toxic to both wildlife and pets. Blaine County issued an ordinance back in 2016 banning the planting of the yew plant because of how deadly it is to elk. Fun fact for you, yew plants are very common ornamental plants around cemeteries, which kind of ties into this. Yeah, and you often see them with browse lines, which is alarming. They put it around cemeteries because they're trying to sow death? Uh, No, I think it's just like a hardy thing that, you know doesn't need a whole lot of attention, uh, but it, it is common around cemeteries. Has it, who's read about the moose that, that beat the living hell out of the sled dog team 
Uh, I saw that. I heard. I yeah, I heard I about read it. it. I didn't read this it. This is an Iditarod musher. Mm-hmm. Uh, spent an hour stomping the sled dog team. The musher empties her gun into the moose. Still keeps stomping. Yeah, mm. I saw that actually on a on a news app, and I I can't believe I didn't read it, but it, the headline kind of said enough, you know. He trampled the team and then turned for us and charged us humans who sought refuge behind our our machine. Hmm. But unfortunately, he turned around, went back to the team, and for nearly an hour, continued. So that's where all those twenty-two bullets went when they couldn't find any. Mm-hmm. That's what she had trying to fight. <laughs> that's, what, yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Eventually, the moose died. One of the dogs is still fighting for its life. Jeez. You know your twenty-two shell comment because you know how she yeah. closes it out. Might have been carry a bigger gun. That's true. I've often thought I said that one time. Actually, at the National Turkey Federation, we were talking. Everybody, I had all my friends that would come like, "Hey, man, what are you? You been able to get any ammo?" And I'm like, "I mean, I got some." And everybody, and I'm sure this happened out here. People was like, "Man, I've been buying all the twenty-twos I can." <laughs> and I'm like. You ever thought of a 30 all, 308, maybe yeah. a 30-06? I said, that's going to be a tough war to fight with just 22s, you know? <laughs> when that was going on, I mean, it's still going on, but when, like, the, I don't know, with the first ammo shortage, it, like, I fell to the, I became the same as everybody else. Yeah. Like, your whole life, you go in and you buy, like, a box, you'd buy, like, 122 rounds. Yes. Like, your whole, like, for Christmas, you might get one of those little mini milk, those little milk things. Remember the milk things? Absolutely. Like, in your stocking, there'd be, like, two of those milk things. You're like, okay, there's, like, a year's worth of 22 shells. And every order of those, about 30 shells end up in your carpet. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Your mom's vacuuming. And you actually shot them. Wait, 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 wait. And Steve, you actually, that day, Christmas Day, on through, you started shooting that ammo and enjoying it. Yeah, once we got onto those tube-fed Marlin 22s, we we needed, like, more of those things. But anyway, so then like the ammo shortage comes. Then one day I'm in uh, Cabela's and they got a thing up that you're limited, like you're limited to two cases or two cart, whatever the hell it was. Of 22s. Yeah. Of 22 long rifles. That was the first time I ever bought a, a, what, a brick. A brick. First time I ever bought a brick in my life is the minute someone told me that's as much, that like I could only <laughs> buy that many. I'm like, well, I better buy two. I still do it. <laughs> I don't even know why. Never in my life did I feel compelled to buy like that volume of 22 ammo. Well, you, you're like me. You know, you do a lot of promotions. So, you know, from different stores, Cabela's, Bass Pros to independent dealers. And I catch myself. I, I, I even saw a sporting store downtown last night. And I was thinking, I probably should go in there and see if I got some 22. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't hurt. I mean, it wouldn't hurt. I think it's hilarious. Like you bring up this idea, like you used to be like, you got that. And then he immediately started shooting. It was an immediate yes. need, immediate gratification. <laughs> you enjoyed it. But now you yes. buy it, don't want to shoot it. <laughs> yeah, it's like I have a, a serious hatred of ornamental towels. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. like, oh, no, those are the looking at towels. <laughs> don't mess with <laughs> the towels for you or underneath the sink. Who tried this? Right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's the same thing. It's like, oh, no, that, don't go cracking in the 22 shells. <laughs> I, know, I know what I I've got four boys. And so they're, you know, living on the farm. Now, I mean, they're just, I love it because they're just out and about and they're squirrel hunting every day or shooting at cans and stuff. And I caught myself, you know, it's like, okay, hey, family meeting. All right, you little jerks. I counted. I had 7,433 <laughs> bullets and I'm down to 7,000. Who shot them? You know, and I caught myself like, what am I doing? What am I going to do with all these 22 shells? But uh, 
we got them. So if a war can be won in America on 22 shells, nobody will mess with us. Yeah, got to, nobody. You got to talk to the musher and get some feedback. Yeah. <laughs> well, this year, I mean, think of the different, the, all the duck hunting and running around I did. Yeah. I was exposed to more uh, brands of shell manufacturers than I ever have been in my life. And that's from somebody who's been shooting a shotgun for a long, long time. I don't understand yeah, what you mean. Because more and more manufacturers were like sourced and sought out. And being, oh. su- and, and being successful. And, and Oh, we, you mean like the 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 big re- the retailers were trying to go anywhere they could go. Anywhere yeah. they yeah. could go. So yeah, you. from Turkey and, and France and Spain and... Uh, so yeah. like you're buying like those, uh, what's that company, Fiocchi? Yeah, Fiocchi. Fiocchi. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here's something interesting too on the subject that, that shows that it is deep, Steve, is the fact that I get a call from Blake Shelton, it was it last year, and he says, hey, Waddell, don't you work with Hornady and those guys? And I said, I do, I do. He said, man, I... I'd like to get some ammo. And, um, and so getting back to the 22s, he said, uh, and, you know, he and Gwen now, Stefani, who you wouldn't think of as a kind of a conservative and, and hunting and fishing. And she's kind of, she don't even eat meat, but yet she's super sweet, coolest girl you ever seen. And very like loves to see Blake and his hunting buddies and just treated us, my wife and all everybody around Blake's friendship. Great. But even she mentions shouldn't we get some bigger ammo than 22s? <laughs> so, so I'm asking Blake, and, the, and it's funny to know that this 22 thing is real. The first thing I tell Blake, I said, Blake, I, yeah, I, I, those guys would be glad to let you buy some. I, I would assume. I said, but they don't make 22s. He said, man, I got a lot of 22s. I need some 30 out 6 and 243. And I, just, I mean, it's so funny, but it's so true. I don't know what the, I mean, nobody had to market that round. It just, hey, we should probably get some. You know, matter of fact, I'm going to have to leave here in a minute. I'm going to run back down there. I know that. <laughs> uh, I want you to tell a story, Michael, that, that I'm sure you told a bunch of times, um, but I haven't heard it from you. But I just, I like, it's sort of a, you know, it's part of like the, the, the legend of Michael Waddell. So you've gone on and have done, I don't know, man, is it fair to say decades of outdoor media? I really have. I, you know, I started when I was 18, you know, working essentially at Realtree through competition, turkey calling and guiding. So it's all I really know is this industry, you know. And talk, tell about like how the tur- like you kind of got like your sort of genesis was a turkey calling contest. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Walk me through how that all went down. It was it was crazy. Um, you know, being from the south and uh, you know, it, very similar to the northeast. You know, where you grew up in Michigan, a lot of you guys here in Pennsylvania. It, everybody seemed to hunt and fish and. It was just a natural thing. It wasn't something you just did for a hobby. It's just like it was a lifestyle. You didn't, it's all you knew. You just did it. I mean, you, you ate the meat, you know, you had, there was mounted deer heads in almost everybody's home. They were in our restaurants. And so it was never even a conversation of who didn't hunt and fish. It's just everybody did. And so growing up, I, I, you know, I started just like everybody else, squirrel, rabbit, you know, that de- de- led to deer. And then when I was around 12 or 13, the the state introduced wild turkeys to our area in Georgia. And I guess we had- Oh, had, they had been wiped out down there? They had pretty much been wiped out. Okay. But there was a few counties that had a decent population, but I lived in, a, in an area called Meriwether County, Georgia, and we didn't really have any turkeys. I never had seen one in my oh, life. I didn't realize that they had to do, that they actually had to augment the population down there. They did. They oh, did okay. a lot of, yeah. National Wild Turkey Federation was very involved. Now there's an organization called Turkeys for Tomorrow that's yep. doing it, but they're they're doing all these, uh, you know, the, the most successful way they found, they would net turkeys in one area in Georgia. And in some cases, they might bring them in from uh, Pennsylvania. They, uh, Pennsylvania restocked a lot of the southern states. Okay. So it was a pretty cool story of, of what they did. But certain areas did have a decent amount of turkeys. And so uh, 
but our area didn't. So when they introduced them, I remember my uncle Morgan come in one day and he's like, you ain't going to believe what I saw down at the corner stand. And I'm like, <laughs> and dude, I'm like, you know, I'm like 12, like Bigfoot, you know, and a, a panther, you know, like, you know, a liger. I'm, I'm everything. No, a wild turkey. And it was just like a unicorn or something. And so, you know, it's like another spring goes by. My dad, literally, we'd, we'd start turkey hunting. Well, I just fell in love with it. And the first time that my dad and I went together, um, we were successful and we got a turkey and I just thought that it was the coolest thing ever to interact and, and call and talk. And so quickly into that, I started really just getting into the, the turkey hunters and the turkey callers and, and a lot of these grand national champions like the Walter Parrott from Missouri. Um, you had, you know, callers like Terry Rom, who were just world champions and, and just some of the best. Paul Butsky, who's from New York. Um, anyway, and I just immediately, I remember going to the sports shows like anywhere and I'd be like hoping I could run into one of those guys and shake their hand. And then there were all these turkey calling contests. So I just started practicing up and a guy named Dale Rom, not right there from your area. Mm -hmm. He, uh, he, he was just a manufacturer that, that built a lot of calls. He had a lot of the Amish there in the area that were building some unbelievable box calls and stuff. And so he just kind of took me under his wing and said, Hey, you're a pretty good caller. You need to get in a contest. And, and he sent me a box of turkey calls for free, and I couldn't believe it. He said, but I'm only sending these because I want you to compete. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside, planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing, taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times. I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance. And man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. 
Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Hey everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who over recent months I've become friends with. And my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, Watch that video. And in that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now for the first time, they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people, 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. The first contest I ever got into was the Georgia State Championship. And oh, I remember yeah. I got like, I was like third place. So it freaked me out. And I'm calling against these guys that are my heroes. Like I'm intimidated to be around them when it comes to this turkey calling yeah. world or circle. And, um, and back then we'd go to the contest, Stephen. It'd be anywhere from 500 to 1,000 people watching a contest. You know, it was hmm. kind of intriguing. Yeah, that's crazy. And so I started doing good. And really, I was 17, 18. And that's where I met the people at Realtree. I started meeting other people in the industry, other personalities and, and things like that. And that just led to actually first being a, a guide. I remember Bill Jordan, uh, he happened, Realtree was based in Columbus, Georgia, which was only about an hour from where I grew up. And so David Blanton, who was their producer, and back then they had their show on TNN, the Nashville network. You know, mm-hmm. that was before I remember that, yeah. it kind of got put away and, um, changed past as far as that network. And, um, they they were doing writers, so outdoor writers and media. That was the media for writing. You know, didn't have the TV shows and obviously not podcasts like this to get the word out and message. It was all through the writers. And so we would have, a Realtree would have these big writer hunts, and they'd have all these writers from Brad Herndon to, you know, Bubba Phillips to, you know, Laura Lee Dovey, all these writers, you know, even Jim Shockey and people like that would, would come down and turkey hunt for articles that they could turn around and sell to these publications. And obviously Bill getting this message about this camouflage. So they invited me to help guide on some of those hunts. To guide the writers. To guide the writers. And uh, I just, I couldn't believe it. I remember I showed up and uh, two things, I couldn't believe that one is they'd buy my dinner at night, like Bill would buy my dinner. <laughs> and, um, and I remember, I, you know, and then then we would go hunting and I remember like after the hunt, we never talked about it, but I remember David Blanton said, Hey, I need your social security number. I'm like, What what did I do? I thought I got in trouble. He said, No, nah, man, we, we're gonna pay we're gonna pay you. And I'm like, Why, dude? I mean, I I mean I had a blast. You guys bought my dinner and you know, and stuff like that. And they're like, No, nah, man, we're gonna pay you a hundred dollars a day to help help guide these writers, man. We appreciate it. So, dude, I man, I was literally like ready to ro- load up the truck and go to Beverly Hills. I'm like, <laughs> This is it. This is it. And through it. that I just started meeting 
you know, a lot of personalities that I looked up to, like I remember Dale Earnhardt coming down. And, oh, really? And I remember talking about Intimidate, and I had won the world championship that year. Me and a guy named Ricky Joe Bishop, we had won a two-man team, like, scenario deal, and we, we won it. And won, I don't know, it was like a 1000 bucks we won, and, you know, and these cool, you know, world champion titles or whatever. And who, who was that put on by? That was put on at the time by Moss Yoke down in okay. Birmingham, Alabama. They yeah. had it every year. And then, obviously, the Grand Nationals was put on by the National Wild Turkey Federation. And then they had another thing called the U.S. Open, like some golf, but it was turkey. <laughs> and um, and so that was the ones. You had three big prestigious titles. And uh, two of those I was able to win um, in a, in a two-man team grant uh, championship. And then the U.S. Open, the best I ever done was Sackett Place. And so through that, I kind of met a lot of people. And obviously, I still love to deer hunt stuff like that. But what was so funny was is um, when I look back on those days, man, I just like – Again, I just thought everybody knew about these things. In yep. reality, I was just in my own little bubble. And, and then Corinne, Corinne and I were talking a little bit prior to this podcast. It was just so amazing to see all the other cultures because I'd only seen this small area in the South. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I was meeting people from the Northeast for the first time, getting to be buddies with Dale Rom and Terry Rom. And I was meeting people like Paul Butsky from Niagara Falls, New York, meeting people like Dick Kirby, who was a legend, you know, and, and I just... One is I realized the different cultures and what you ate and what you saw. And then I started seeing, going to these different places, I started realizing that there was a lot of people that didn't kind of like my kind, not necessarily my kind, but just any of us who hunted and fished. And I was actually kind of, just kind of tore up about it. Like I couldn't understand Was that right, it. really? Yeah. yeah, I was, I, I went to a workshop one time to learn how to edit in Rockport, Maine. Huh. And, um, really? Yeah. Rock put on by who? It was put on as international film and art still. I don't know how they found this. I thought it was kind of torture just to throw me into the, but not like through like out, not through like outdoor writers association. No, no, no. This was later. So yeah, I kind of got a head, head in the story. So, so basically what happened was I was guiding and I started doing that. And, um, a lot of the writers become buddies and a lot of these, you know, different celebrities that come in, they got to be friends. And, and one of the most intimidating things that ever happened to me early on, far as kind of when you. You know, when you're trying to be quarterback, I guess, or you put in to be a quarterback. I remember Dale Earnhardt was down, and um, and Dale was kind of very intimidating kind of guy. And he said, uh, we had hunted together one time before and killed a turkey. And so he gets down there, and I'm I'm 19 years old, 20, 21 maybe. And Dale gets down there, and that morning before, he says, hey, I'm a, I want to go with that young world champion. And I was like, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm Michael, you know, and he's like, yeah, I want, I'm going with you. <laughs> and somebody said, and somebody else was like, no, nah, I was going to take it. Nope, I ain't going. I said, I know he'll get me a turkey. He said, boy, you going to get me a turkey? <laughs> and I, and, and dude, <laughs> you know, I wasn't even mad he called he me was boy. Like, he I was, was like a yes or no, he like, was a yes or no know, answer. I run out to the truck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm man, I got to get Dale a turkey. Thank God we did. And so to the day he passed away in that dreadful accident, Daytona, he would always come down and he'd want to hunt with me and David Blanton and another guy named Glenn Garner. And he just had complete confidence that we had, we'd, you know, get a turkey. And so I think for me as a young man, it started building confidence that first of all, like, man, this is fun. This is awesome. And uh-huh. that, that first place of, I'd played sports and stuff. And, and it led to Bill Jordan and David offered me a full-time job to, uh, to work in production, to, to video and guide. So I never was hired to be this creative production guy. I was hired mm. more to, in those days, just like a lot of times still in your world, Steve, you know, you have somebody that's interested in the space. It could be a celebrity, and and so at that particular time, it, it could have been a country singer or somebody that wasn't that good, but they enjoyed it. And of course, it was a good marketing platform for them in the TNN days to mm-hmm. 
for Mark Chestnut or a Sammy Kershaw or Hank Williams Jr. to be on that particular TV show, especially with the connection in the day with Nashville Network and hunting shows that come in that Sunday night block. So we'd follow a NASCAR race. Well, there'd be millions of people watching this outdoor programming. And so uh, so we would go, and a lot of times they would say, hey, we're going to send you with Michael. So they know they knew I wasn't like the most creative guy, but they knew I could keep things in focus and I could kind of coach them along, like, hey, you know, push the safety off now. Hey, don't move, but, you know, let this, he's coming closer. You know, so, so I was kind of guiding slash, you know, slash video. And, and, and so with that, I just fell in love with the job, and I didn't know anything about editing. And that's when they, David Blanton said, man, we need to teach you how to edit. And at the time, that was when everything was going from linear to nonlinear gotcha. to digital and the Avid and all the different software. See, when you, when you yeah. said edit earlier, I thought you meant edit writing. Edit right. Well, oh. yeah. I, 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 when it was coming to editing with me, you know, I, first of all, I still, am, I'm pretty good writing, but I have to have a really good editor because I, I'll write like I talk, so I need, I don't know where to put the commas and all every time. But when it comes to, you know, video editing, they sent me to this place in Maine, Rockport, Maine. I don't know if it's still happening, but they used to have these crash courses, like for a week or two week courses. Oh yeah. If you wanted to learn how to, you know, cinematography or on 16 millimeter film or, you know, I'm sure it's changed. This was back in the early nineties, but I remember going up there and they t- sent me to school for non-linear editing. And I remember what was the biggest takeaway. Everything was shot on these big beta tapes. And so for me, my buddies couldn't believe I had access to this footage of back then, the monster bucks videos and all stars of spring videos that Realtree was selling in Walmart and stuff. So I took all these masters or dub of these masters of all these hunts. Uh-huh. So I thought I was going to be like this hero. Like I was going to show up and they ain't going to believe this young kid's got all this awesome <laughs> high res, great cameras. Because you know, everybody down there is working and, on yeah, hunting stuff. And I'm thinking, yeah, if I showed up there, you know, with my buddies, you know, up with meat eater, like, heck yeah, we got something good. If we'd all been young, learning to edit this stuff. Well, I show up, man, I might as well have been the Antichrist. And they're like, <laughs> and I remember we were sitting in class and I told the, the teacher, I said, I said, man, I work for a company and I don't know how to do it. I said, I'm pretty good tape to tape. I said, but obviously this is the way things are going. And they sent me here to learn. And it was a seven day course. And, and I remember, uh, saying I got some unbelievable footage and they had everything was on high eight and VHS. And so they were struggling to get content to digitize into computers. I said, man, I got some really nice stuff, but you know, if y'all'd like to see it. And so the instructor or the professor or teacher he said i'd like to see it so i showed him he was oh my god are y'all shooting this on a bvp 90 i'm like yeah i think that's the name of it man that's a sixty thousand dollar camera i said i know man what do y'all do so he's really intrigued i said well my boss you know they they got a show on tnn and i'm just a guide slash camera guy but you know this is the stuff and i said they sent me here to learn how to edit hunts and to get better so i can obviously post and send this to tnn you know i said i just i don't know nothing about cg i don't know how I, i i don't know the the uh, the the way the right way or the the code of of certain things and we had cutaways and all this stuff so anyway I'm learning well he shares it with the class and and he I remember it was the first time ever I'd heard somebody quickly making an excuse like he said look a lot of you guys are not going to agree with this and I'm thinking no nobody's not I mean or, come on <laughs> you're man. like, you're like my camera don't these guys <laughs> eat don't these guys eat you know like I mean for sure you know and and anyway sure enough I remember a couple of the girls got up and said I w- stood up in the class and said, I will not have anything to do with that. And I'm like, man. And all hmm. of a sudden you want to talk about feeling like the dumb hillbilly redneck from Georgia. I did then. Cause I'm like, man, I'm sorry. You know, I was like, man, this is, and finally I started getting pissed off. I'm like, look, 
I'm here to do a job. I said, man, I, I got a job. Mom and daddy didn't send me up here. Hell, I'm here because I got a, I, I got a job. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to learn how to edit this. And I told the instructor, I said, look, if you need me to you know, hang out and go catch lobster out here in the port and help with the fishermen there in the meantime, I'll, I'll come back. You can teach me how to edit this deer foot. But I got to learn how to edit these hunts. And, uh, and there was one dude from Ontario that was there that stood up and he said, hey, I, I agree with Michael. You know, I grew up hunting and fishing and oh, you don't understand it, but... Uh, and at the end of it, they made us edit this this piece together from the footage that it looked like all the animals had gotten away. And because um, they, they made us edit it that way. And I was mad. And for some reason, really, for some dumb reason, I never done any public speaking. But every night I had just turned 20. Well, I mean, at that point, you hadn't done public speaking. I hadn't done any public speaking yeah. at that point. None. And for some reason, the instructor he and I, I guess because I was spending a lot of one-on-one time just because I was anxious. I wasn't there just, I really was. I wanted to come back and be able to impress David and Bill and let them know, hey, I'm ready. I, I can do this. And at the time, we had just bought and put in a studio there in Columbus, Georgia with a nonlinear system, all the hard drives, and, and nobody knew how to run it. Like, didn't even really know how to turn it on. Even our main editor, who actually had worked at NASA, he was had the big, you know, like a cockpit and all these machine to tape to tape and and CG, and you you know hit this button, something flew in. So nobody knew this. This is back in their, like I said, early '90s, right when the Avid come out. So I was really, really anxious to get back and say, "Hey guys, I know how to turn on. I know the basics, and I can teach all this, and then we can we can roll." You know. And so for me, being this turkey calling guide, I was like, "Man, I'm finally gonna have some technical prowess when I come back." Well, I get well. Well, so I spent a lot of time with an instructor or teacher, and um, so at the end of it, each class. Um, it, the, the whole at the end of this school, when everybody graduated, they had had this big dinner, and every night we had a mess hall. We can go in there, and um, there was a vegetarian line, which I I never had seen anything like that. I mean, I, I used to go to Golden Corral, by God, you know, you know, when you're done, you made that damn ice cream, you know, trying to tote it back, and um, so all it was so new, man, <laughs> and I'm like, man, they, what is this? Like, man, you're in the wrong line, Waddell. This is where the, you know, you get your little prime rib right here. Oh, okay. And, but, but most importantly, they had, I just turned 21, and they had a, a, a draft beer that you could drink free if you're 21. Uh -huh. you, could, you could have Rolling Rock beer. So I, mean, I never had a Rolling Rock. I mean, Pennsylvania beer. Yeah, yeah, and I was drinking this it smells beer. a lot like cat food yeah, to I me. Was, well, I was drinking it every night, and so that last night, you know, I know – that we get to show our project. And so the instructor literally says, hey, you know, we had a great class and you don't want to introduce y'all. And he called all our names up and it was a class of about 20 of us. It was in his class. And then he says, and also too, we're really, really cool that we had a guy that is working for an outdoor company. And so um, we, he, we I'm better yet, he said, we want you to come introduce this project and it's called The One That Got Away. So it was all this footage uh, from Dale Earnhardt to Larry Wysoon, we hunted with a lot of biologists back then and writers. And uh, and I remember, and, and he said, but I'd like to get uh, one of our class members, uh, Michael Waddell, to come up here and talk. And that, now I'm already got a little buzz. You know, I'm out there thinking, <laughs> man, I'm eating lobsters last night. and well, I'm not ready. For so I get up there and I remember I got up on the mic and made the comment. I said, hey, I said, man, it's such a cool honor to be here and Thank y'all for the hospitality. I didn't know what to say, but I remember I said, but yeah, this is pretty, this is pretty neat to be able to edit this together. And I said, we did it with, with our classmates. And I said, and uh, it's called the one that got away. And for some reason I went to, and I said, I hope y'all enjoy. And then I went to step off and I stepped right back and I said, but by the way, 
every damn one of them are dead and already on somebody's plate. And I walked off. <laughs> and at this point, it's so some of the ladies, the girls, was, and one dude in particular, he was so pissed, they just glaring at me. And I said, truth. I said, man, I didn't grow up lying. I, now. I said, that's, I said, I, this ain't Quentin Tarantino. This stuff is really dead. This is, ain't fake. And so, Were the people working on it? I mean, were they like, oh, wow, there's Dale Earnhardt. Yeah, some some of them were, yeah. but, but they were more like appalled. It, it, and like I said, you know, and I heard y'all talk a lot deep on that. And, and I love the documentary y'all put together. I text you on that, the, that's on Netflix. And um, I thought that sky. explained it well. Yes. Oh, my God. And I loved how, you know, you was able to interview the people that was probably on the fringe of, you know, not even understanding hunting, but forcing them to look deep and and I think sometimes us as hunters, we have to look deep and see that maybe maybe we did grow up different and we understand it. But I think once we can help explain why we do it and how we do it and the different reasons, then it makes it you know clearer. And so for me, that was a huge learning experience because I, I didn't, I really didn't know. I honestly was completely ignorant. I, I wasn't dumb. I was ignorant to the fact that I just, everybody I had met was like meeting Seth. It was mm. like meeting you. It was like, even though we might not enjoy the same things, it, we still like, you know, you ice fish. Well, I catch, you call it crappie. I call it crappy. And, you know, we, we fish in the spring and, and you yeah. know, and y'all fish on the ice. But there they still was this common bond. And so for me, I was completely like, I was calling my dad and like, dad, you ain't going to believe this. These folks, they don't hunt. They don't even like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't like it. Yeah. They don't even, they, they, they hate me. I've, like, qu- I've yeah. quoted it a couple of times, but, uh a guy that comes on the show often named Patrick Durkin who grew up in a community in Wisconsin and he described it once uh, in a piece of his writing where he said, if you're not a deer hunter, you share a bed with one. Yes. Of where, you know, of where he grew up, right? I know Pat. He is a (laughs) great guy. And that is a hell of a quote. I I haven't heard that, but that is true though. That's true. What do you think, uh, let's say that all hadn't happened to you. What do you think you would have wound up doing for a living? Honestly, I think I would have, uh, 100%, 100%, I'd have been out there working with my hands. My dad was a contractor. Uh-huh. Um, I went to heating and air school in the process of working at Realtree. So I would, there was a part of me that I I thought that what I was doing in the hunting space and guiding and getting to do and run a camera, I really, there was a part of me because of the system I grew up in, I thought that that was almost similar to getting a guitar and moving to Nashville or, or going to LA and saying, you're going to be a model. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you met somebody. I didn't really think I'd make a living at it. I just knew at this particular time that I was young and, and had really not a lot of responsibility other than one day being independent, pay my own bills. I, I, I had went to heat and air school and learned heat and air technology. Yeah. I had heard that, but yeah. I, th- I didn't know. But so I thought you did that. But you were, yeah. you were trained. Oh, so you I were doing that too. I was already working okay. with Realtree Guide. And, and, then, and then after I'd started kind of the guiding and doing that stuff, I would I, I would leave and I didn't have a full-time job at Realtree. I was just guiding some during deer and turkey season, running a camera as a freelancer. Yep. So per per day type of work. And, um, and then I would go back and I'd work with my dad. And then I worked full-time. Uh, for over a year in heating and air. Just doing like residential or commercial? Residential, yeah. just troubleshooting, installing heating and air units. And, and that was also a kind of a new fad where everybody was doing the refrigerant reclaiming. And so I'd gotten certified in that where, you know, used to, you just cut the lines if you changed out a unit and all the Freon would go up in the atmosphere. And so that was in a process to where, you know, you was reclaiming this. And so I was, I was young and I knew how to work all that new equipment. As a matter of fact, I had a chance to help even order it for some of the 
the people I were working for and tell them what was the best system. Cause I'd just come from this tech school learning it. Yeah. And I remember, uh, even that just being young and enjoying that. And I thought that that would be what I would do. And I was always kind of driven that I wanted to try to be the best at something. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I'll always work as a heating and air guy, but maybe one day I can own my own heating and air business and work in conjunction with my dad. And my dad, you know, grew up very country and actually uh, quit school when he was 16 and really has about a ninth grade education. And um, my dad was barely literate, like he still can't read and write a lot. And so I'd never seen somebody work so hard in my life. Mm-hmm. But I also realized that my dad just had struggle even writing checks and taking notes and stuff like that. But he could build the Empire State Building. I mean, he could build anything here in Bozeman. So I remember early on thinking, okay, I got this heat and air background. My dad knows all the bells and whistles how to build. So maybe I can try to be a better business person and help my dad from the, the, the parts that he was missing. And I knew I had my dad there from the work ethic of pushing me to, you know, if you had to be there at eight, my dad be out there with a the light at six, you know, yeah. hammering and working. And so, uh, that's what I thought I would do. And I, and, um, and as, and as time went on, after about a year or two of doing this with Realtree, kind of guiding and running a camera on the side, David Blanton in 1996 offered me a full-time job to work uh, there in the video production. And uh, and at that time, it was $18,000 a year on salary. And I, But oh, he could have right? said, said $3,000 a year. I'm like, man, I'm working at Realtree. Did dude. your dad think it was frivolous or did he think it was cool? My dad was the only one who thought it was cool. Um, I remember my grandmom and really blue collar. I mean, we were really blue collar. Like my, my family was so proud because I had the service van with my name on it. My gauges hung up in this truck. So by the system that most all of us are in this conservative, you made it in life that he's got a good job. You know, man, he's making $15 an hour and they said they're going to get benefits and they might even have a 401k next year. I had made it. Mm-hmm. Like Waddell's doing good, and I'm so proud of you. And um, but when I did mention it to my dad, my dad was like, "That'd be good." You know, he had met Bill Jordan, he had <laughs> met Realtree, and he saw the the money because he was the one mm-hmm. that would take me to these turkey calling contests when I was young, and he saw that it was an industry, and uh, he saw that there was an opportunity that you, if it's an industry, well, obviously there's work in it. And so he was really the only one. My uncles and my grandmama, you would have thought that. I'd gotten on drugs and, and was going to play with the doors, you know, like yeah. I'm, I'm going to play backup bass for the doors. You know, I really, <laughs> really thought that's what it was. And I was just, you know, like, God, he had it. Right. You got this solid thing. Yeah. yeah. Hey, he's going to Don't Montana to put up Montana tent, canvas tents with Steve. And what's he doing? <laughs> you know, it's like, what's going on? And, and so, uh, and they just couldn't fathom that you can make a living hunting and fishing yeah. but i could never get across to them that it was more than me just hunting and fishing it was it was celebrating the space and we were selling products and there was bows there were arrows you know in this case there was camouflage and bill and his licensing program was doing exceptionally well was making vhs tapes at the time that led to dvds and producing shows and so even for me i was taking all this in real quick but I, it was hard for me to go and tell my family and so uh it, it was a big change, and quickly, man, I, I just was blown away just getting the chance to go to Las Vegas to the SHOT Show, going to the Archer yep. Trade Show, these big conventions, and uh, talking to Corinne the other day. You know, I, I didn't know what to do with myself because I didn't know, should I talk like I'm talking to y'all now, or should I should I wear khakis and, 
you know, I, you know, relieved to see you coming in and, you know, you've been catching beavers this morning. So that made me, honestly, it excited me. Like, okay, this is real. This is real. Steve, oh, yeah, I, just got, I got to a you. big one, Seth. Yeah. And that's, oh, it, it, yeah. yeah. Nice. And so I was, you know, I didn't know, like, you man, you know, what, what do I wear? And Realtree would buy you all these pants and new britches and shirts and little wool vests and stuff, you know, because we had an outfit when you go to ATA, you yeah, know, yeah. Go, go to the shot show. All right, code is, we're going to wear this. Everybody, we're going to wear this. And everybody was moaning and complaining. I was like, man, they bought me some brand new L.L. Bean britches. You know, like, <laughs> man, them suckers are $70 a piece. You know, I take, you know, and we'd have an olive and a khaki and a brown. And I thought it was the coolest. I'd be the first one. No, have that's my real stuff professional, man. Oh, dude. But it was awkward because I'm standing there, you know, and, and, and like I don't know. It's kind of like on Talladega Nights. I didn't know what to do with my hands. I didn't know how to come across. <laughs> you know, it's literally I, I was I was smiling. I was happy. But I didn't know how to celebrate certain things. And then finally, um, I think the biggest turning point in my whole career was that first year. I remember we went to a big meeting up in Nashville, Tennessee, and Viacom had just bought TNN. Uh, or I, honestly, I might be ignorant. I don't know if they just bought it, but Viacom might have always been a big part of the Nashville network. But I do know that Viacom at that time on TNN, they also owned uh, – they owned uh, MTV, a, a bunch of networks, and obviously. Yeah, who's that guy that used to run Viacom back in those days? He married like Kathy, Fre- uh, like a wellness person, Kathy Freston. What the hell is his I name? can't remember, but I, I remember. Yeah, I, it doesn't, I didn't it doesn't know. Matter. I didn't know about the inner workings, you know. But I, I remember uh, being very excited to go to this producers meeting, and at the time, there was a lot of people that I really looked up to. You know, people like Hank Parker, who had a show, Mark Sosa, who had a fishing show on the network. And then really the only big networks that was celebrating hunting and fishing at that level was TNN and ESPN. Mm-hmm. And um, and so anyway, I went and I was just like, couldn't believe I was getting a chance to go to this, to be around these peers. Jackie Bushman uh, was there, which, you know, that phenomenon in the 90s, that whole Buckmaster thing was growing. And, and anyway, it was just, I was just kind of flattered. And I remember I, I met this guy from MTV and um, and he, he he was really condescending, not just to me, but he was... So you guys, y'all the y'all the Bambi killers, and he was smirking. He had, and dude, my inner just country boy trait, I just wanted to knock him the hell out. I remember just wanting to hit him so bad, like, <laughs> and, and probably in another setting I would have, but I realized I was representing real tree, and boy, it just pissed me off. And every time I tried to talk to him, and I was eager, I was like, dude, man, I'm a big fan. At that time, Paulie Shore, remember Paulie Shore? Oh yeah, oh, I, yeah, I, yeah. I was <laughs> like, yeah, I'm country, but I'm watching this every episode. <laughs> And so I'm like, man, and, y'all uh, know Polly? Kurt, y'all Kurt work on Polly? La- what are those dudes' names? Yeah. It was like Martha something, Kurt Loader. Kurt Loader. Remember uh, all these? Martha oh. Quinn. Yeah, Martha yeah. Quinn, Kurt dude, Loader. Um, and, uh, total, what's the The work? dude, Adam. That Carson went on, Daly. There's like a major, like, he was like a podcasting pioneer, right? Adam, it was like he had the feathered... Uh, I don't know. But uh, like an early MTV person. Remember that yeah. show, 120 Minutes? Oh, that was yeah. a good one. And this yeah. would have been 96. So yeah, this like was all in these that, people yeah. came out of... Came out of there and went on to do all these different media things. They're like yeah. the, the, they, they even coined their own term, like VJs. Remember that, like VJs. video video jockeys. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was I was for some reason I, I guess what really led to a little letdown, and it wasn't all the MTV crew. It was just this one guy in particular. I never even got his name, but it was very obvious that he felt he was a little smarter, and we were the redneck stepchildren yeah, there yeah. because we were the hunters. And we were the outdoorsmen. And it was important to him that you knew this. It was important. That, yeah, yeah. And so as I got to talking to him, I I, I, I said, well, I said, man, I, I can tell you ain't a hunter. I said, but man, I will tell you, buddy. I said, if you ever come to my naked woods, 
I said, you would enjoy what I get to do every day. And I said, uh, and I know you got some heroes in this room, but I do too. And I was pointing out, I want to say even Babe Winkleman was there. And I said, you know, these guys right here in my world that I know, I said, I respect them. And I said, and uh, I respect y'all, but you might not respect me. And I said, but if you ever come around my woods, I said, you you would enjoy it and you'd be treated with great respect. And uh, and I think you'd walk away a different. And, and I remember it didn't really hit home. He said, oh, you know, he kind of walked away. And I remember I, huh. I wasn't, and when I said that, it kind of, I said it, it defused my anger of wanting to hit him, <laughs> literally. <laughs> because for me, I'm a culture guy. Like if, if you're in my family, you're on my team, you can make fun of me. I, I told y'all beginning the podcast, y'all can say what you want to to me. I'm just real funny about the people I love. And if you, you know, it's kind of like your brother or sister, you know, we can talk about them like, I swear they ain't hitting on nothing. But then somebody else said, you're ready to fight. And so for me, yeah, yeah. I felt like he was slapping at a Bill Jordan. He was slapping at a Cus Strickland or a Toxie Hayes or these pioneers of these companies. And and um and I remember walking away and I remember telling Bill that night, Bill Jordan, because Bill would always just the nicest guy would never want to offend anybody. And said, Bill, I said, man, I walked a tightrope, you know. And I said, I I, I don't want to be too country. And uh, Cor- Corinne and I were talking about this yesterday. And um, I said, and I realized that. All I can think about is I don't want to be around folks like that. I want to be back home on the dirt road in Georgia, you know, or somewhere out in Nebraska with my buddies, these farmers, these ranchers, and people that understand the balance and the good Lord's renewable resource. And I'm realizing more and more through that condescending nature and how they judging that we are some of the best people and best organizations and best assets to America that's out there. And I said, and I will no longer, you know, make any excuses for what we do. I said, Bill, you're a hell of an entrepreneur and you made a lot of money. And I said, and, and the people that support it. And at the time, I think we had about 13 or 14 million licensed hunters. I'm not sure exactly what that number is now. And I said, and it's up to us to, to stand up for it. We're not making excuses. And I said, I catch myself this whole night mm-hmm. feeling like I need to shake somebody's hand to make an excuse that we're the hunter. Sorry. Yeah. And it bothered me. You know, yeah. here I am 21, 22. And I'm sure Steve, you've been in some cer- certain situations like that. And I walked away and I think that was the biggest part of my career because I started realizing I got very comfortable about who I was, who who meant the most to me. And and uh, and like I said, they was everybody that was part of my team and, and that I knew to become friends with from people that truly hunted just for substance and, and to put meat on their table. I knew a lot of trophy hunters. I knew conservationists. I knew environmentalists. I knew just the good old boys who just wanted to drink a Budweiser and sit on a dove stool, you know, and I knew people at that point you know, up in Michigan and Pennsylvania. And I started putting it all together. And I think that was when I really become proud of the culture and really started, I shouldn't say fighting for it, but mm. just being able to know that I could go head to head with anybody that would try to downgrade the culture. Not not just what I like to do, but all of us like to do. Yeah. I mean, you know, some of us like DIY. Some of us work all week and maybe it is a an outfitter that you trust in to take you hunting. Um, you know, some people like to chase a big trophy, mature animal. Some people literally want to shoot a doe just to have some skillet meat and grind some burger for their family, especially among what we see now. And so I think that was the biggest changing part though. And that was 96. And slowly, I think that led to the less I really cared and just become more comfortable as a personality because I never dreamed of being a personality. I just couldn't believe I was hunting and fishing and doing these things. And I think that's when people could either hate me or like me but potentially at least respect me maybe and um and so that was that was a turning point for sure steve no doubt i came up i came across a lot of that same disapproval you're talking about um like in various circles because through book 
publishing, you know, I was just introduced to New York and through TV, I was introduced to Los Angeles. And I found that a couple of things would happen where I would talk to people and they would be, we'd get into like hunting 101 mm -hmm. and they would be pleasantly surprised to learn that there were hunting regulations. Yeah. Pleasantly surprised. Like that's how sort of like they, 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 in their mind, you just like went into the woods and just whatever. Just shot some. Yeah. As you'd, be like, oh, you'd be like, oh no, home it. Cause here's this, let me, let me explain this whole thing. There's these things called like biologists, right? And they do like these wildlife surveys and then they issue and they'd be like, no shit. And that made me realize the value of, of having some amount of conversation. And the other thing I would realize is that growing up in a rural area, um, we would do the same thing mm -hmm. to people that lived in cities is what we thought people that lived in cities do to us. It, like yeah. everything's filthy. Um, yep. Everything's rats. Yep. Every, you know what I mean? You're going to get robbed around every yeah. corner. You, you get robbed all the time, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, I was like, yeah, you know what? I guess I got it. Like, in all fairness, I got to look and be like, man, we have stereotype. It, like, yeah. we grew up in the west side of Michigan. Um, it was just, like, taken as a – I the only time I ever went over to Detroit is we had to go over there for a school event one time. And we went over there, like – if we could have brought shotguns, we would have brought shotguns. Yeah. Convinced that there's fine. no way we're coming back alive <laughs> from a school event, you know, like from a school event in Detroit. So it does like, it, you know, I think it does cut both ways, but there it is does. that, there is that little bit of, um, you know, I attribute it more to like, I treat it more like there's sort of like assholes in every walk of life. Yes. And that, that thing where someone's going to go like, oh, okay, dear slayer. Okay, baby yeah. killer. You're like, you know what, man? Oh, man even if yeah. you lived, even if you were a hunter, you'd still be an asshole. Yeah, you would be. You know, you probably, I, I, I think you're probably right. deep yeah. down in you that yeah. you gotta be, that you gotta have it be that um, you got everyone's number. Yeah. Like you see through everyone or, you know, yeah. like, you know, what's really going yeah. on. And so it's just grandma, like, you crochet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, I want to ask the thing about, so you, how many kids do you have? I got five. Yeah. Four boys, one girl. I got one girl. Yep. Four boys. Yep. Do you, um, do you lean on them about what you want them to do? Or do you take the same approach that you wish people would have had with you when you were a kid? No, I, I definitely take um, a different approach, I would say, because I think I learned, I think all of us sitting here realize that we're being able to do something that's very all-American, like, holy cow. I mean, think about today. It's a, was it Thursday during the day? And we're sitting here getting a chance to just talk. This is something we do around a campfire and mm -hmm. share it with the world. So I definitely push my kids to to not worry about the safe conservative route is to is to look and right now while you're young you know, if you want to break it into statistics or percentages, you know, you got, you know, if you look at, say, an entertainer, Bruno Mars or the uh, th those Guns and Roses and those people that play in band or actors and actresses and even people get to do what we do. Um, obviously, it, it's tough to get there. A lot of doors have to be open. You have to have ability. You have to have talent. You have to have so many things that happen. You have to have good Lord's blessing and, and the will be done. However, if you don't go for it, then you might be bitter later in life. So I, I tell them now, push for the things that you think are unachievable and I'll support you. You know, go for that 10 percentile because think yeah. about it. If you break it down into the percentages, there's a 10 percent chance that I can be on a podcast with the meat eater crew or be like those guys or possibly create a company like Bone Collector or maybe make it as a country singer or an actor, an actress, whatever. 
Well, if you don't make it and you really wholeheartedly tried, guess what? You got a 90% chance of going and getting a job at Aflac and selling insurance. <laughs> um, like they won't take that privilege away from yeah, you. Yeah, and, and, and like I said, I'm not even downgrading that. I'm not even downgrading anybody that does that. But I know all of us here would be pretty miserable if we'd have never tried this. I mean, I think right now, I think the common ground, all of us sitting here, I guarantee you, if we had to go work at Sonic tomorrow, we would think, man, like, holy cow, man, what a heck of a ride. Man, we did some things and we achieved some things. I got something on Netflix. Mm -hmm. I did a hunting documentary talking about the culture. You know what? I feel good about flipping this burger right now, but I did it. But if we'd have never done it and thought we had the potential, I think that'd be catastrophic and psychologically damaging. And I think sometimes people don't go for it enough. But all of a sudden, if you are 48, you say, I'm 48, and I've got five kids, and I tell my wife, hey, I think I'm on. I know what I'm going to do. Getting back to the sling blade comment, I'm going to call the boys, and I'm heading to Nashville. (laughs) I'm getting a band. Watch out, Zach Brown. Here I come. <laughs> you know, I can't do that. I got a mortgage. I got insurance to pay. I got cars. I, you know, you got all this stuff. You got kids. And with five kids, you know, four boys, my God, they eat. Yeah, we have to eat a lot of wild game. I understand yeah. your message because we have to eat a lot just because you can't afford ribeyes for all these steak nights when me and mama are alone. You know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, anyway, with that said, I do push them, Steve, to say, go for it, man. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Go for it. Like my son is a really good guitar player and, and singer. He's 21, about to graduate college. He's on a fishing scholarship at Montevallo University. Nice. He's like, Dad, what would you think if I went to Nashville? I said, you'd be fishing, crazy. He's on a fishing He's on a bass, yeah, fishing, bass team. fishing scholarship. Yeah. And um, they, 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 I've been so proud of him. And it's been amazing. Does he and, want to continue with that? You know, I, I, he, he loves fishing. I don't think he does want to stay at the level of trying to be, say, an elite pro. He, he's been around all of this. Like, he, he was very pumped I was going to be up here with you guys today because he follows y'all. Matter of fact, the whole, whole university, I mean, I have to give you guys a hell of a lot of props on what y'all been able to do, especially with the younger generation. I mean, all, I mean, I got a lot of my buddies, uh, I mean, I say my buddies, but these kids at these schools that go, they're going to be jacked when they, I can say, Hey man, I was on Meat Eater podcast. <laughs> no way. No way. Are you kidding me? You know? And, um, and so it's, here it's, comes old man. Waddell. Yeah, exactly. Here comes old gray beard. Peacons. Yeah. Let me tell you about my pecans and this turkey. I yelled in with a wing bone. So, uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's amazing. But th- those kids are, are amazing. And, and I know they got that opportunity. And I think Mason being around this space even though he loves the competition part of it, I think he's more interested in the path of, you know, media and and just uh, the the business parts of it and and seeing the the PR and the opportunity, uh, being that he grew up around Realtree, he grew up around the clothing manufacturers, these firearm companies, the the bow and arrow manufacturers, mm-hmm. personalities like yourself, um, and, you know, and fishermen. I, I think he is more intrigued to maybe do something deeper with the people in the person, not necessarily have to be a personality, but just, I think he, he really respects the space. And so I think that's what he'll do. But right now he's, he's really good at singing and playing. And, um, and through our work, you know, met a lot of country singers and they're like, man, you ought to get your boy to come up here and we jam and stuff. I'm like, oh, Mason. That's cool. yeah. I said, Mason, you ought to do that. I said, what, think about it, dude. You, what have you got right out of school? What have you got to do? You can get you a job, anything, just scratching up a little, little opportunity for, for a, a beer on a, a Friday night and play guitars with people like Ira Dean and Red Akins. And maybe if Blake comes to town, I said, you know, you can call him, Mason, you hang out. And I said, why wouldn't you do that and see where it leads and just have fun, enjoy and learn from the experiences. So I am, if you want to say, everybody would look at me and say, this old redneck's going to be the ultimate conservative 
boy, get you a job. You're going to go to work, get this shovel and go to work. But I, and I do want them to work. I'm big on work ethic, but now's the time because once you yeah. get married, you got a kid on the way and you got that mortgage. Uh, uh-uh, it's a different dad. Like, uh, uh-uh, I ain't paying for it. Get your butt back. You know, you better figure out how to pay for this. And, it's funny uh, you say it. A, a very good friend of mine growing up, he, he followed, you know, all the, mm-hmm. all the wild cards, right? Yeah. And he ended up going into the tech industry and uh-huh. the whole time. His dad, who just recently retired from the railroad here, um, very similar to, to your father's growing up, right? He's right. like, oh boy, oh boy, yeah. oh boy. Well, tech job takes off. Uh, he ends up getting a, a big paycheck, has it like a, three months of not working, right? Yeah. And his dad's just losing it. And finally he has a talk with him and he's like, okay, you did all that. Uh, there's a job with the city opening up. Mm-hmm. Time to get that pension. There you go. Right? And yeah. it's just like, it's still just like, uh, yeah. it's like, this is concrete. You followed the thing. You got a big paycheck. That's neat. He's like, but... This is what we know yeah. is like safe. That, that you know, it's funny that brings up, and that I mean, I know I'm here, you know, talking and y'all asking questions about what I've had to do, but I've often found it interesting because I, you know, Steve, I know you probably run into this. Probably the one thing I noticed as getting a chance to shake hands and meet hunters across the country is, it's it's like a love hate. They're like, hmm, what's up, what if? you know? And I've seen them, I've seen them with Steve. You know, I was at NWTF last or with year last year they had it in there. What's up, meat eater? Oh. Oh. And you can tell what they're doing is like, love you, but, you know, somebody got to paint this house. You know? <laughs> somebody still got to work in the concrete business, run a bull float, but hey, good, hey, glad y'all having fun. You know, hey, glad you called a beaver this morning at eight o'clock. You know, yeah, and what I'm, you guys call work. Yeah, what you guys, and so, so it's almost like I catch myself like, hugging them like hey man i i get it oh, i would hate yeah. me t- i would i would hate me too if i'm you but at the same time you can tell there's respect and they're like man that was awesome yeah that's an interesting perspective and, and so i it hit me i thinking man there is a little bit of a problem and i don't know if it's parenting or what it is but i feel like the more you love something the more you push it into this conservative very safe and i certainly saw it with covid to where it just hit me how afraid people are of everything mm-hmm everything and, and, and i mean making a living the insurance or oh, boy, hey you ain't, you ain't got health insurance or you ain't got this you ain't got that or you and i'm thinking well first of all you know i i'm a praying man and i believe in god and i'm thinking well you know you know there, there's a certain part of this to where i shouldn't worry about this no way and i understand worry and planning but then i think we all kind of raised up to say all right go to college get you a good job and in the process of everything, where where are we really living and following certain dreams? And I find that there was a lot of people that's very frustrated and, and bitter and almost depressed, not because they didn't make it. It was because they never really even tried. They made it. They're, they're upper middle class making good money. You know, they're, they're going to their girls' dance recital every year. You know, they're coaching T-ball and stuff like that and doing good. And that is the American dream. But yet they'll shake Steve and I's hand and like, hey, must be nice. But then I want to say, well, you don't realize I, I didn't get, ever get to coach. I coached T-ball for the first time last year. I'm 48. Mm-hmm. I got four boys. And last year was the first time that I said no enough to things that I'm like, no, I'm coaching T-ball. I got, you know, I got a five-year-old. <laughs> and, and all my other kids are 17, 21, 14. 
I'm going to coach ball. I'm just going to say no to some things. And, yeah. and and so I did miss that part of it. You know, I missed, I remember people talk about Seinfeld and friends. I never saw, I couldn't have told you who won the national championship in the 90s because I was work. I was gone in elk camp, going anywhere and everywhere. I couldn't have told you what a friends episode was like. So the mundane that most moms and dads could sit down and get your kids to bed and watch Seinfeld I didn't even know. I didn't even know it exists. Yeah. You know, I didn't even. Oh, a Super Bowl? That might be the only NFL game you watch because you're just working and you're grinding. So I do realize that we're blessed, but we did work hard to get here, and we possibly could have fell on our face. And 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 the way I look at it is sometimes I, I I wish people would be more motivated, especially early in life, to just go for it, just try. Because what have you got to lose? Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. I want to tell you about an American-made success story and Black Buffalo's award-winning nicotine pouches. Black Buffalo was built by dippers with decades of smokeless tobacco use. Black Buffalo is all about the history and tradition of dip, but they understand the convenience and discretion modern-day consumers are looking for. Black Buffalo's nicotine pouches give you the versatility to consume discreetly, but keep the ritual with flavors dippers love. Mint, straight, and wintergreen, all proudly made right here in the USA. Tell them, Chili. The reason I like black buffalo pouches is, one, they're very discreet. And what I mean by that is I can throw one in and almost forget it's there. And I prefer the mint pouches. So if you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the black buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Hey everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who, over recent months, I've become friends with. And my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. 
They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, Watch that video. And in that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now for the first time, they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company. Working knives for working people. 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. I never yeah, I never had to deal with any of that crap. Mm-hmm from my folks and um they were my dad never fi- you know he didn't finish high school he he left high school to fight in the war right um he was just elated and had a and really overestimated what i had done by the time he died so, so, love, so he was he was on like a 6 month they're like you have 6 months to live from cancer and i had done one story in outside and i'd done like two things for field and stream and and he was dying, and we went down to Florida to fish. I remember going into a, you know, where you're going to buy, like, a bucket of shrimp, you know? Yeah. Him basically coming in through the door, being like, have I got a surprise for you guys? <laughs> <laughs> Meet my boy! <laughs> just was he gets his mail in Michigan. He's did three articles in Field and Stream. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's like, do you know who you're talking to? That's amazing. Uh, my dad, he, he my was, dad just, was a lot He like was that, just... Too. That's amazing. Beside himself with excitement, you know. It was nice not to have to deal with any of that garbage. But when you uh, it, we we, we kind of talked a little bit about how you got going. When you went to start your own thing, and, and yeah, and do bone collectors, did you have to like burn bridges and piss everybody off and everything? Or were um, they like, hey, good luck? You know what? It, I I I didn't feel like when I was doing it, I was burning bridges. Uh-huh. But I think there was an optic that maybe I was because I was working full time at Realtree, and I'd had the show a show called Realtree Road Trips that. I just I don't even know how I got lucky enough to to do that show, but it got more around the whole standpoint of just the fun and the campfires, and I realized that a lot of these personalities were super funny and cool, and 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 back then TNN was very starch, very perfect. Every hunt scenario was perfect, everything everybody said was perfect. So I thought that they might be a good lane for for the for the fun of of hunting in this camp and adventure. And so um, when I pitched that idea to Bill Jordan and David Blanton for Outdoor Channel because Outdoor Channel was brand new. And that was when you'd go to the Golden Moose Awards and literally there was beer in a bathtub and it was in somebody's suite, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and so at the time, you know, the, the, the politics were getting kind of strange at TNN. It had went away at that time. Realtree, our outdoors, was on ESPN at the time. And it was very strict. You couldn't show any impact shots. Um, and, and they, you could yeah, like, a, like a blood prohibition, very big, yeah, like yeah. to the point to where you couldn't even have your own creative vibe or style, how we're, we're blessed now. We can still kind of say, this is kind of what I want. This is a portrait and we, we produce it and paint it and we put it on a network. Even what you're doing on Netflix is still what you want to do. Mm-hmm. It's not dictated. Well, then ESPN would dictate it. They told you how your show was going to look. And I always thought it was kind of strange. And so I remember early on saying, we should do something over here on Outdoor Channel. And Bill and David agreed. And so I pitched them this idea of that Realtree Road Trips. And they said, well, yeah, you should, that's one we should produce. And they said, I don't know who we get to host it. I don't even know if it needs a host. But I think if we could just have a spinoff show off this TNN show, 
you know, if we had these guests, because I remember, you know, going and have a lot of writers, Pat Durkin being one of them, we'd all go to hunting camps and stuff and we're looking for articles. I remember Jim Shockey would be there and, you know, I was, it was cool, but obviously we'd hunt deer and we'd build a big fire and, you know, eat a good food. And, and so I remember there's all this fun stuff happening. And, uh, and I thought that that could really be a tactful way to present the fun and the real camp life. And so that was road trips. And so Bill and David said, well, you host it. I'm like, well, no, I didn't pitch this for me to, to be on TV. Um, Bill and David were letting me hunt a little bit as a reward. That was my Christmas bonus. Like, Got it. hey, man, you know, why don't we let that old kid, why don't, he ought to run, let him go to Texas this year and try to shoot a deer. Like, and they're like, hey, got something to tell you. And it'd be like a kid, you know, trying to get the Cracker Jack prize, you know, prize <laughs> out of Cracker Jacks. Like, what? Like, get, go to Encinitas. We're going to let you bow hunt a deer down there. Like, <laughs> you know, man, just be so excited. And so I'd got to hunt a little bit and I was getting a chance to do some turkey calling, like tips, you know, because I'd done. Oh, like some on camera stuff. Yeah, I was getting stuff, some on camera. Yeah. So I wasn't like hired as a personality. I was hired as a, per, you know, per, uh, producer or, or editor or whatever, you know, jack of all trades, I guess. But when we'd come against a wall and have a partner, a turkey calling partner or something around turkey, that's like, we need a good turkey tip in this episode. And they're like, well, let Michael do it. But here's the thing, because yeah. you, you were already, like, you were already a champion caller. Yeah. And, and that kind of led to that. Yeah. And even before- I would have think you'd have gone, I would think yeah. they'd have had, I guess no one knew. I would have think yeah. you'd gone right into being like a forward-facing person. Yeah, and I wasn't. I, it definitely wasn't my thinking. I, I, I'd always been- very humble, but also very confident. You know, it's like there, there's a fine line there is, you know, where I never thought much about it. No, no, it was never on top of mind. Like, man, one day, one day I'm going to be a hunting show host. I remember thinking, man, I hope I get to hunt. Oh, I'd love to hunt Saskatchewan. God, it'd be unbelievable to go to Alaska and hunt moose. Are you kidding me? That'd be a dream. And I always think about how could I save enough money or how would I get lucky to do it? Never did I think I'd get to do it and present it on a show. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but I think I think um, you know what happened was is is as a, a, everything got to grow and I I just got these opportunities to to do things that I never dreamed of and and so for me I'm still humbled and 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 I pinch myself with it and I I wouldn't I was not expecting of it at all for sure I wasn't I didn't plan it. What year was the what what year was the first uh, bone collector you know first bone collector property that came out it was uh 2007 was when i left realtree and and the reason even getting back to that at the road trips it created a good bit of success for not only the company but for myself and so i was getting opportunities at that time during road trips working full-time as an employee and realtree was a pretty big corporation um even though it was privately owned but we had you know a handbook you know hr department and we had policies and parameters what you could and couldn't do and one of the things you couldn't do is is certainly accept any money from any of the partners mm. um, from these licensee. We're a licensee-based company to where, you know, if it was a clothing company, um, they would pay a royalty to put that camo pattern on their product. So, you know, in your case, take a first light. They couldn't have paid me to say, hey, Waddell, could you come do an appearance for us at Cabela's? Yep. You know, you know, which, you know, like, no, I, I can't accept that money. So what happened was I was starting to get all these requests and opportunities, mainly from the partners of road trips. And I kept bringing it to Bill Jordan and David. And they oh. said, man, you can't, you can't accept that. You can't accept that money. I'm like, well, how do we handle this? And even Realtree at the time didn't know how to handle it, you know, because it was just, 
really exciting, but also like, holy cow, I can't do this. This is against the company rules. And so, so I, mean, I, I kind of feel like I'd like all these guys that are here to leave the room real quick. Well, we can explore this conversation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so I remember. I remember. Um, I, I'm very yeah, interested. It was crazy. how you broke free of this system. But well, I, I remember <laughs> sitting in the. I, was, I remember sitting in these managers meeting. They'd have managers meeting every Monday, and um, and it was a big enough topic that I was getting companies call, and I had a. A, a guy, he helped me tremendous. The guy's name was Sean Perry, and he was from Endeavor Company, now Philip Morris Endeavor. Out oh, in yeah, California, yeah, you yeah. might know Sean. Great guy. No, I, I know the company, though. Yeah, and yeah. so, I, I mean, I get a call, like, at Realtree on my little desk in Cubicle, and it said, <laughs> Endeavor. And I pick it up. He said, hey, man, Sean Perry. I'm an agent out in California, man. What what are you doing? Right away, just cut to the chase. I said, dude, you wouldn't know it, but I'm I'm an agent. I work with a lot of stars, and um, I'm just interested. And I'm a big fan of your show. He said, I'm one of the few guys out here that hunt. I love to hunt. And um, anyway, and he says... I think I have talked to this guy. He's a great guy, man. He's a cool cat. And uh, and anyway, he says, well, what are you making? And I said... Well, and he, we, he gets right down to right it. Right down to it. <laughs> and um, he said, do you have any things people are calling about and stuff? He said, I love Realtree. I'm a big fan of Realtree. And I remember thinking, holy cow, I'm feeling like, you know, I'm looking on my shoulder like I'm, I'm on a company phone here, you know. And anyway, and he says, man, you need a book. You need this and you should be doing this. He said, I think you can do more. And... And I said, well, I got these couple opportunities. Uh -huh. And I said, but I don't know how to handle them. I can't do this at Realtree. So, well, you'd have to leave Realtree. He said, you don't need to go against their corporate policy. He said, it is what it is. But you're, I think you're strong enough you could be on your own. And so I'm like, holy cow, this is a whole nother level of getting back to the whole family talk. Now, I'm working in hunting and fishing, but I got a corporate job. Man, don't shake that up. And so anyway, he, he said, well, send me those contacts. And that day, literally, I sent him over a couple phone numbers of marketing people he calls me back that day. He said, all of them said yes. He said, I got you like a couple hundred grand if you want to do it. It's a two-year deal. And I'm, I'm freaking. Like he went and put it together? That quick. That quick. quick. With no, like, no sort of talk about what the commission would look Nothing. like. And, yeah. Nothing. Mm -hmm. He said, I don't, he, he even told me, he said, I don't need, I don't need your money. Because I think he did minimize it from the standpoint he wasn't looking at this kid from Booger Bottom being Leonardo DiCaprio. He knew that he spent his time getting this film with DreamWorks for him, but you know, hey man, I can get this kid a book deal. I can do this and I can make especially yeah. when I told him I said, I'm making about fifty thousand a year at the time and, and uh which which I was tickled to death. But I realized there's more opportunity. So but right remember, now you're in this spot. Yeah, and I'm and I'm yeah, yeah, and I'm like, I'm happy and I'm in this hell of a spot. I don't know how to handle it and I don't want to be too big for my britches, you know, and so I go down to the manager's meeting one day, I say, man, I like to talk to you guys about something. I got some opportunity, but I don't want to let you know, y'all think I'm being ungrateful of my opportunity here and at first it rattled some change and they were kind of tough on me like it was pretty hard like i'm like man and then later as i started showing some of the opportunities it was bill jordan that said hey you, you got to just leave realtree you got to be your own man you got to leave realtree but we'll support you and oh, uh, and man, i'm like big of them. and i'm like he said but you can't i can't allow you to do this when i can allow other people in the company not to do it he said so you got to leave and that means giving up your benefits you're not coming into work every day and so I left, and my first gig was with Gander Mountain, and they hired me to host this show called We Live Outdoors. And uh, and it was an awesome opportunity, and, and I made good money. And then within a month or two, Realtree, we come back, and we sat down and put a subcontracting type of contract together where I was still hosting the Realtree Road Trips. And so from that, I was excited. I was kind of set. I knew for two years, but I also remember um, – I'd created one of the things that Gander Mountain had had me do. They said, look, we want to reformat our show and make it more around, you know, what you think would be cool for your personality. 
and at that time, it seems like that there's always these stages in the industry, you know, um, you know, where, where certain things are happening. And at that time, I felt like we was having to make a whole lot of excuses, you know, for, for hunting. It was weird. It was having to do that. So for me, bone collector, that was a crazy, almost in your face approach. But sure. in reality, it w- it really wasn't as, you know, this, you know, muscle man and high-fiving and killing everything as, as it seemed like it was. So it was a little bit of a little trickery in the fact that I wanted to almost offend a little bit and pee in your face. But in reality, when you got behind the scenes, you just saw a bunch of smiling guys that just had yeah, fun and you yeah. just wanted to be in our camp. So it was a little bit of a, we make no excuses. We're a hunter. We're a predator. It's the way I was born. I'm a bone collector. So that who was did, his, who did the skull uh, logo, dude. A guy in Alabama. I, I t- had this idea and I, I wrote this little creed. And and actually, all of that, ironically, I, I put this whole treatment for the show for Gander Mountain. And we sat down at their board, and they said it was too racy, and they didn't want to do it, and they stuck. We live outdoors, and so literally right after meeting, I wasn't even deflated. I just thought, well, okay. And then I asked them. I said, well, look, would y'all have a problem if I trademarked that myself and started? They said not at all. Oh, they they thought the drawing was too racy. Well, the, they didn't the, have the, I didn't have the drawing. I just like the told hu- them the I just skull, told deer I just told thing. them this big creative idea yeah, I, I had you. for Bone Collector. Yeah. And and I said and, and it wasn't even at the time Bone Collector. It was uh that that creed. I said I, I think what's happening. I think my exact pitch to them at the time was Gander Mountain was a little bit struggling. Um, and and, and I felt like they were kind of riding the fence. You know, you didn't know if you wanted to be kind of more if you want to use the word granola i know that can be offense to somebody but 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 do you want to be hardcore here or you want to be hardcore there i felt like they were straddling the fences i think you just started just jump into it and be a big corporation that really jumps into the fishing and hunting space. oh like they were they couldn't tell if they wanted to go like hike and bike and y- yes they, they didn't know if they wanted yeah, to be rei yeah. or they wanted you had to, to walk through com- a bunch of zip off pants yes. to get to the shotgun section <laughs> that is correct <laughs> you're exactly right yeah. and i and, and and i was just trying my best not defend but also just try to do my best creatively to say here's what i see as it reflects back to what i think and the people i'm meeting doing appearances in your store mm-hmm. and i and i threw him this idea of like let's just make excuses let's let gander mountain be the foremost hardcore cater to the diehard ice fisherman to the diehard duck hunter waterfowler as well as hiker but we make no excuses for anything we're involved in and so you know and if i'm your guy why don't we just kind of and with a smile just say don't worry about it don't make no excuses who you are this is what you enjoy doing and it's legal and it's safe and we're putting back and hunting god's renewable resources and fishing for them so that was kind of my idea and so when they said no to it let's just kind of stick in this kind of manila mm-hmm. very safe lane of we live outdoors um which was a pretty good show but it was like everything else and um so then i said hey you mind if i do it and so i was so busy with with road trips and the we live outdoor i knew that i couldn't do the shows myself and so i i knew nick munt who was a i was guy, gonna i was gonna guy, ask yeah. how it went like nick and t-bone like how that yeah. whole yeah uh, uh, Nick was a, a guide out in Wyoming, and I just he, he and I were the same age and just loved the dude, man. He's just a, a good hunter, a good people person. Obviously, spent a lot of time with a lot of clients, taking them hunting and fishing, and just funny, just funny, fun, almost like a Jim Carrey type of guy. And uh, he's now married, so he don't cut up as much as he used to. He's had to get serious in life. But um, And then T-Bone was always, he won the world championship of, of boat, uh, ASA, and he owned an archery shop right, a, right above uh, where I lived and was probably the foremost bow wrench. And if you had a problem with your bow and you was having problems shooting, T-Bone could have you, I mean, like hitting stuff and doing things that you was blown away because he was just a phenomenal at understanding the mechanics of bows. But he was also this, this jolly fun dude who loved to hunt, 
who obviously wasn't going to be a Cameron Haynes and run to the top of the mountain first, but just a great, fun <laughs> dude. And, you know, he might be standing at the top of the mountain, got a helicopter ride when he got there. He gave you a Swiss cake roll. Come on, Steve. You going to like this, buddy. You want to, <laughs> what you want, Werther's candy or Swiss cake roll, buddy? Here you go, you know. And, and you just loved him. Everybody loved him. And um, always smiling. And so I thought, man, these guys, I think they can help out a lot. And there was consummate professionals. I knew the space. And, so I, I talked to them about coming on and helping me with that. And that's, that's really oh, what really? it was. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so it, it was just crazy and amazing and, and, and such a blessing. And it still is. And even though I'm a little older now and grayer in my beard, I still feel like a 12 year old. I really do. I, I, I was so excited, so excited to come up here and chat with you guys. I mean, I just, I don't take anything for granted. And, uh, you know, here recently T-Bone as we was just, yeah, yeah, that. I, 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 I don't. Who who in here mentioned that? I didn't know that this was a. I didn't know he was going through that. I know. Um, right when I come in, right the right the front desk, um, we were talking about it. He uh, this past summer he noticed a knot that was starting to grow on his leg. And, uh, it's crazy how it happened. I remember he knelt down to take a picture of a deer that Nick had shot. I think it was in in Wisconsin. And we just gonna take a you know grab and grand photo with our buddies. And when he knelt down in the snow, a stob hit him on his shin, hmm. and like he gave him a big bruise you know one of those kind of stone bruise that like golly and um like if it, that it, shouldn't have done that yeah oh that hurt but it was like it, uh, quickly a knot come up and right on that you know that there's no room for anything there on that bone and it hurts and um well over time it just was a knot that wouldn't go away well this past summer it it started growing and literally started growing so big it popped through his skin from inside to out and it was just a terrible sarcoma that grew in metamorph- But what the hell did yeah. it have to do with the, the I, yeah. bump in his knee? I don't know. And that, and we're still trying to figure it out. I, I guess it's just the circulation and it's somehow, you know, I don't know how all this tumor and cancer starts, but I guess lack of circulation, certain things, and it just become... But they, yeah. I mean, I, I know this isn't yeah. like a medical show, but is it that that revealed the problem or does it... Is yeah, it- I don't know. I don't know. That's nuts, man. It's, it's wild. And, and that's why T-Bone, like this past October... I noticed he was being real quiet and he, he wasn't saying anything. And he had told me he was having some problems with his leg, his right leg. And then later we were doing an event up at our friend's place. Uh, Derek Carraway's got Whitaker gun up in Kentucky and was just having a big promotion and just sporting good store, fun time. And, and T-Bone, I noticed that he was sitting down. And the one thing I'd always made a commitment to, and I got, I got really choked up. We did a, a little podcast talking to T-Bone is I'd made a commitment to when I saw that, man, they would actually, people show up and want to shake our hand. Like, like, you know, Seth and I met years ago and if you, and I, first thing I noticed, we were all standing. I said, yeah. look, guys, as you look. remember well, yeah, exactly. I remember, <laughs> I remember well after the photo for sure. But, um, but I remember I told these guys, man, I said, we should never, I said, I don't think we should ever sit down. I said, if some, if a grown man thinks enough to come by and shake our hand, uh, you know, cause that can be hard. There's a lot of pride and ego in a man's world. And, and, I said, man, I want to make sure I, if they want a man hug, a high five, or look at trail cam pictures, I want to stand right there on this side of the table. And, and so we made that commitment. And, I, and T-Bone had told me, he said, Michael, I'm really worried. He said, uh, my leg is really jacked up. He said, I can't walk, can't stand real good. He said, I'm in a lot of pain. And, and he showed me some pictures. And I'm like, oh, my God, T-Bone. Well, he sat down the whole time. So we're doing this promotion. And Nick and I are standing outside. And I look back there, and T-Bone's kind of stand behind the counter, man. I got whelped up because I knew for T-Bone to not be out there with us mm. and to be able to, because he's such a people person. He he don't want anybody to be disappointed in him. And, uh, and dude, I got, ch- I knew he was going through something. And then later, 
uh, my wife is an oncology nurse. And so he told my wife, he said, don't tell anybody. He said, it's cancerous. And one thing led to another, and they quickly knew that they was going to have to amputate his right leg. And so uh, to stop the sarcoma. Ugh. And they had found a little nodule in his lung, and so they did the typical chemotherapy to to try to hopefully that that sarcoma didn't spread to his lung, and, and that particular nodule actually shrunk a little bit. And so this past Monday, he did have the amputation. He's in a lot of pain, but his attitude is beyond what I can even I don't know that I could handle it. And it's it's been so odd to talk to T-Bone about it because most of the time, you know, when a friend calls you with a problem, it's typically you that motivates them and reminds. It could be if you call me, it's like, Steve, hey, bro, keep your head up. You're doing this. And, bro, I, you know, you know you love, you know this. And it's kind of that motivational. And T-Bone's calling us and talking about this amputation, what he's going through, and he's having to motivate us. You know, like, what do you say? Yeah, it's, it's you know, What do you say? You know, and – Anyway, he's he's doing better, and uh, it, it really has helped remind me of this. Yeah, where he's like, it's going to be all right, Michael. Yeah, it's going to be all right. I'm, he said, I'm good with this. I have peace. And you know what? You're going to be fine, yeah, Michael. You're, you're, yeah, that's what he's doing. It's like, it's okay, Michael. I, I'm, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to have one leg. And, and and we're starting to come around. Like like our crew, we, we uh, and, and we are just cut-ups, you know, just goofing off all the time and hard on each other. And so, like, the other day, our producer, Nick and I, we looked and we found him the old leg lamp, you know, off Christmas Carol. Awesome. So we're getting, you know, so we're, I hope you don't hear this before I get it to him, but we're, but we're definitely, you know, want to get him stuff like that. We're, Do you know that you place, know, yeah. uh, the, you, you remember uh, we were sitting here and someone named Hillary came in the door and I said, I missed, I yes. thought, okay. Yes. She's from that town. Are you kidding me? And that house is a museum. No way. The Christmas Story house is a museum with that lamp in the window. Are you serious? Yeah, like you can go there, and it's like there's the house on the street with the lamp in the window. I would love to see. I love that. Yeah, I didn't even know, like, I don't know what the hell. I thought it was a fictitious town. Maybe it is. But either way, that house, you can still go to where that. Where they shot in video. Yeah, the whole thing. I don't know if that guy is still down in the basement beating on the the coal furnace. Ragged, 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 ragged. <laughs> so I, I don't want to get. I know this is fresh, and I don't want to get too graphic, but uh, you know how much? Like a lot of his leg. They had to amputate middle of thigh. Ooh, so way up. And, and he, is he going to get? Uh, do they know yet? Yeah, like a, with a, with a foot and everything on. I think so. Um, I, I think so. He's T Bone is very much a thorough, detailed guy, so he does a lot of research. And, and he'll be he, ranching on that leg. Oh man, he will. He'll have something. He'll be tuning he'll it like up. Robo man, I'm sure. He'll, he'll be, be putting cams on. He there might and make the NFL. Start <laughs> <laughs> he probably will. There's no telling, but um, but yeah, you know. But then I've heard too that there's you know, and again, maybe maybe somebody can comment. You know, uh, and let us know. But I, I'd always heard too that there was a weight limit on a prosthetic. Like you know, that somebody says two hundred fifty pounds, but I don't know the technology. And but if anybody's unaware, T Bone is a, T-bone's is a large man. And he, yeah, and he feels pretty confident. But like most of us men, I, I think you know the way I've always handled tough times is I just minimize it and say, "Hey, man, we're gonna be good." And, and so I think T Bone is doing some of that. But man, his attitude and just it, it's been catastrophic in one way, but. The love in the team has never been bigger because it it really like I, I was walking the other day to squirrel hunt by myself and literally got choked up, man. And I got just mm. thinking of Yeah. Not just with T Bone, but just everybody and all these campfires and all these fishing and just and dude, it just hit me hard. Like, man, you know, I, I've been blessed to take some big animals, you know, and some of them I scored, most of them I haven't, but what amazing adventures from from Africa to all over the world to all over the country. 
that no way I was supposed to get to do that, but not just be there, but the people I met that I learned from that understand better their value of hunting and outdoorsmen and being a conservationist to, to my take on things. And it is just uh, amazing. And, and for me, that was the biggest trophy. And one of those trophies is just all those fun times with T-Bone just being the big guy that could take a joke, that could give a joke, that you can never piss him off. You can never not make him smile. Mm-hmm. That always had a positive attitude. And, and it just made me just love him even more, but not just him, just all my hunting buddies and, it kind of hit home because we can all lose folks. Man, we get so busy. We're running and going. And then I think, man, sometimes it's just, you know, you got to stop and what's the old saying? Smell the roses. And so that that definitely happened with this. And the, the, the outpouring of love across the space and just social media, T, T-Bone, every time he gets to talking about it, he starts crying, not because he's got cancer, because he just didn't even know he had that many people loved him and that would be there if he called. Oh, if cool. he called. So that was yeah. pretty phenomenal. Corinne, when he's all uh, up and better, we should have him come up on the show. He would talk love that. All, talk about all that. Man. He would love that. I, I'll, I'll make sure he brings his leg lamp when he comes. He would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we've already started cutting up. Like, we work with Thorough Good Boots. And and uh, and I remember, you know, we literally went from crying on the podcast. I said, well, T-Bone, big question is what we're going to do with all these right-footed Thorough Good Boots. <laughs> so, so, you know, we, we you know, what's the old saying? To keep, try to laugh, keep from crying. And that's that's what we've been going through the last week or so. But he's doing good. And, and definitely anybody that's made a comment or even listening here watching thank y'all man it's you know it, the love has been so amazing to to see and feel so thanks for all the prayers it's been it's been cool uh we joked about it earlier the the mm-hmm. pecan farm yeah um is that like a legit is that like a way out for you in the end you know what like I, when you kick back you're like man when i'm 65 <laughs> that's what i'm doing or I, I, Right now, based on the money I've made on it, which has not been enough to even see the light in that, I would say no. But okay. but I do th- I do think I'm learning. It's just like anything else. I'm learning to figure out a way to hopefully make a profit. And uh, I think if anything, it's been a it's been a nice something to to jump into to to try to master and learn and grow and and kind of a de stress. To be honest with you, yeah. that part of it I've loved. Like you know. I too love to trap, as I know you do. And for me, trapping is a little different than hunting. It, it really is such a stress reliever for me to go trap. And um, but if you like being yeah. a twelve-year-old and, and having yeah. fun, right? The toys. Yes. When you get into that, I was just down in Sacramento Valley, and they have a, yeah. a hedger that goes down in between the tree rows. It's got two big arms that are triangles. Yes. With a spinning disc blade on the end of each tip of the triangle, and it goes down the rows and shears like, and squirrels yeah, and prunes <laughs> prunes the trees, you know. And my first thought was, why isn't that on any of these stupid zombie movies? <laughs> and my second thought was, I re- I really want to get in that and run it. I know, it. <laughs> you know, it, that is fun. The toys. Hey, what's the nut that um everybody's always talking about? How uh, water consumptive must not be a pecan, right? Yeah, pecans and almonds. Oh, almonds. almonds. Yeah. No, I think almonds is like I don't almonds. Know. The There's California like six example. gallons of water for every almond or whatever. I don't know what it is, but so almonds, it's both. Pecan, pecans take a lot of yeah. They take a lot of water. I want to say, but I, but I didn't know you're growing crazy. them in a state that has a lot of water though. Well, a lot of my my orchard is not irrigated, so. And believe it or not, last year we got so much rain in the south, I got too much water. So you're not dumping any water in I'm this. not dumping any water. It's all, Maybe that's yeah. your marketing thing. Maybe it is. And it's if funny, people are throwing yeah. out how yeah. Uh, yeah. water consumptive it is coming out of the uh, Imperial Valley or coming out of yeah. California, you should just have it be like um, 
Waddell's non-irrigated. Non-irrigated. Yeah. <laughs> Pecans on a prayer. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Heat up, yeah. Dude, I think you need to have it be that, like Cal was saying, you yeah. need to have it be that you buy yeah. a little shit in bag. Yeah. These a lot pecan, of packaging, yeah, a lot of logoing, not shit for pecans. I could go up to my ultra southern voice. Hey, everybody, y'all line up. If you want pecans, right. come from straight God's bountiful harvest. <laughs> right. We only got rain because God saw it fitting for y'all to eat them this year. And you have a in there. $4 a pound. <laughs> Small batch, artisan, yeah, yeah. non irrigated. Yeah. Yeah. My buddy Ranella only eats meat in these prayer pecans. That's it. That's right. And you, you'd be like, if you think there's not enough pecans in this bag, it's because we had to make room for this nice handwritten note. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and you exactly. got the story yeah. on the back. You I, know, could, this I could get the picture with Seth and I at yeah. Harrisburg <laughs> and get Seth and I to sign it. And like, hey, the there pecan started here. Like nowadays, every energy bar, when you read the back, it has like the story. Yeah. So it'll be like, pecans on a prayer began when I made a <laughs> realization about water consumption in the American <laughs> life. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I could do better. I could do this. Yeah. I can do better. Are those the best tasting squirrels, the pecan eaters? You know what? They are pretty tasty. They are pretty t- I don't. I don't know. I can't tell a big difference, but uh, <laughs> but psychologically, it's got to be there. Yeah, right? feel, and maybe that's a whole other thing. I could get into organic squirrel pecan, pecan fed squirrels. They say that wood ducks are the best tasting ducks because they eat so many nuts on their migration. So I'd yeah. imagine there's something similar with, with squirrels. Th- I imagine they would be, and, and I do think. I mean, you know, getting back into really for sure what Steve specializes in, is I have certainly noticed a different that animals in certain regions definitely taste better like you know you you shoot a whitetail or mule deer that's been eating a lot of alfalfa there's a noticeable difference in that versus a, a sagey mule deer versus you know even elk uh in, in our whitetail around home like I, in montana we hunt the milk river my god those whitetail I, I mean we can shoot 10 deer in georgia legally so it's not like i hurt for meat but every time i'm in montana i always fly my meat back because it's just the best it's just such, it's like, if it's the closest to grain-fed beef, it feels like to me. Have you heard can that tell saying, you can... eat with your eyes Yeah, first, right? You eat with your eyes first. Yeah. When you cut open a deer that's been in an alfalfa field, and it's just like overflowing with fat, mm-hmm. yeah. your brain Im- immediately commits to the fact that you're like, this is going to be the best tasting deer that's ever. That's right. Yeah, we can, we can vouch for mallards that have spent three weeks in a millet field. Oh, Ain't bad. Well, they bet they were better, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. yeah. Like when they get like obscene amounts of fat. hundred percent, yeah. yeah. Eating hogs. I remember I was in Savannah hunting hogs. I remember the old timer I was there with, he said, one year, he said, these hogs ain't going to be fit to eat this year. It's been real dry and they've been eating a lot of snails out in the coast. Huh. And, um, and anyway, and he said, this year, I went back to this year, they're fat and they've been eating acorns. He said, take as many home as you can. So I did, and he was right. That that no you know, sometimes you know wild hog can be kind of gamey, you know, decently gamey. These were like the ones I remember my pop all raising up, you know, and, and killing on the first frosty day. And I'm like, hold! I was mad that I didn't bring more, like, because there was a noticeable difference them foraging on acorns, and then he had a bunch of corn feeders versus them being that hungry because of the lack of acorns on this particular area and island that, that we were hunting on, that they had to forage out there for snails and different things out there. Oh, I could picture that. Yeah, I didn't know. Uh, what's that in Italy? Don't they produce a? Isn't there like a ham where the only the pigs only allowed to eat acorns? Yeah, really. I can't think what the hell it is though. But then they like cure it and all that. It's like yeah. a Serrano, it's like some kind of Serrano ham. I don't know. There's another angle for your pecans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There Pig, is pecan hog. Yeah. We, hey, we learning. Hogs <laughs> on a, yeah, hogs on a prayer. Pecans hogs on a prayer. On a prayer. <laughs> hey, Mike. Uh, 
Oh, oh, go hey, ahead. Mike, talk about um, tell about how you're so so country that you're like trying to outgrow eating. Oh yeah, squirrels and rabbits. It, it is funny. I, it's funny. Uh, even speaking to T Bone, I, I grew up so dang country. Like you know, I, I didn't even realize I did until. And you hit the nail on the head, Steve, when you're talking about how stereotypes of, say, us that hunt, whether you're in rural Michigan, Pennsylvania, or Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, wherever, we also had the stereotype of New York City or, say, L.A. And then I realized first time I go, I had the most fun ever. You know, like, dude, this is pretty cool. I remember going to Las Vegas the first time, and I'm like, you know, holy cow, this is pretty surreal and cool, you know. Some things I didn't like. and People smoking cigarettes yeah, at yeah. <laughs> At the casino yeah, machine. Exactly. <laughs> this, is, this is crazy. Man, I'm going to go see that Michael Jackson show, man. That thing, $50, but it's fun. Or go see O oh, and these these Broadway shows. And so I realized that, man, there's room for all of us to grow. But um, I grew up so country, I, I didn't I didn't know about those things. I knew about what I, I, I knew. And it was so funny, even eating wild game, like my papa. Man, he was a big time. He wasn't. I never thought of him as a hunter, but he made a little corn liquor and he sold it and and he only kind of lived off the land. I'd never remember him having a job. This is your grandpa. My yeah, my so, grandpa. My dad sold dad. illegally. Oh, uh, completely illegally. Huh, yeah. But I knew it was I'm weird. Not because, I'm not condemning. Yeah, he, he completely. <laughs> but I, how ironically, the chief of police in Manchester would come buy it from him. Like an old guy named Willie Stargo, he'd be down there buying buying corn liquor, you know. And I'd see, he'd put it in his car. Hey, blue boy. They called me blue boy because I was the first blue bo- blue eyed grand youngin, you know. And, and, hey, blue boy. He'd be putting a little. Right. Two mason jars. He's of just getting liquor. it off the street. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> confiscating some liquor from your papa, and um, and so he taught me a lot about like I remember the first turtle traps we ever had out, um, fish baskets. Oh and really? He used yeah. to have quail baskets. So he was like, hardcore. Hardcore, yeah. but but never did he do it for sport. Like I mean, I, no no, he stuttered real bad. No no no, blue boy, c- c- uh, c- uh, come on down. Let's no, let's go check the traps. And so we'd go, and and it was, and I remember going bass fishing with him and stuff like that. And he would catch every once in a while in a trap, we'd catch a possum. Well, that possum would come back and he'd start feeding it corn. He'd feed out this p- possum or, or coon and we'd, really? we'd eat it. And so what's funny was... I like grew- he'd uh, he'd change his diet and fat. Completely it. change his diet. Like he'd take a coon or a possum and he had this like a rabbit pen and there might be two or three coons in there at any given time. No kidding. Or a possum. And he would feed it. He'd feed it from table scraps to like cornbread. I remember yeah. feeding him cornbread and you know possum, obviously coon too. And then like anything. come like slaughter day. He'd, he'd feed them out for a couple months and he'd, he'd kill them and then eat them just like just like the domestic pig he had in the huh. pen. So I learned a lot about things, and and also another thing. This guy I remember, sounds like a good guy to hang he out. He was with. so fun, and, and a lot of things he did illegal, but I didn't know it was illegal. Like we had quail in Georgia, and he would have quail baskets out, and we'd catch a whole cubby, uh-huh. and it's completely illegal. But looking back. I, man, that night we'd eat quail. Like we'd all eat quail that night, or we'd go fishing. And my papa, I'd never seen him in my life throw a bass back. Never, like a large mouth. I mean, son of a gun, we went back and scaled that sucker, and and he would never, he never would freeze. He'd put it in a um old Tupperware bowl and had water, and he'd put salt in it and just leave them soaked in water. And not only would he cook them, but he 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 uh. He was with a, a woman. He wasn't even married to her. her. name was Claudine, which is country and hell. That's that name. <laughs> and, uh, it's like a Dolly Parton movie. He <laughs> heard her name. He's like, I like Claudine. you. Yeah, yeah. And Claudine, she would Dolly always Parton have tea. You're going to take care of me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can it just tell. sounds like you're going to get some yeah. good food. Yeah. Come on yeah. to my grandma's house. Claudine, okay, we're going to eat good tonight. <laughs> but he'd have him fish in a, in a Tupperware bowl. And uh-huh. We'd have four or five bass in there. And if it wasn't just, if it was just him or Claudine, he'd take about two or three. 
and he'd cook him. He'd leave other in a bowl, and so he'd eat from them. We'd have goat milk in there. So I grew up eating some of this stuff for my papa to realize that I did like deer, and boy, I was going to get me a good job so I could buy me a piece of chicken. You know? <laughs> so some of it was good, and some of it, like to this day, I cannot eat goat cheese. I can go to a fancy restaurant, and I'm like, man, it have goat cheese, and I'm like, no, because I grew up smelling them and you know, having goat milk. It ain't nothing worse if you don't know what you're getting into and pour a big old chug of you know goat milk over your Fruit Loops in the morning. You go, yeah. man, this this ain't. I don't think this is that homogenized. You know, you know. I tell everybody, yeah. I'm like, no matter how good it is, at the, at the end, yeah, when it kind of like leaves your your mouth, yeah, I taste goat dust. Yeah, you do. <laughs> It's kind of like eating is, javelina. If you ever, you can eat a burrito and you ever, you ever, cause I've seen you on your show, y'all eat javelina stuff and then you eat it and it's good. And then all of a sudden it'd be like two days later. And you know, <clears throat> <laughs> oh, javelina. <laughs> it's like you feel it, you know? So again, my daughter, I recently, she was eating some uh, McDonald's French fries later. She commented that, um, she's like, how come when you burp up the food, it's always the good parts that you taste. And I'm like, no one's ever uh, <laughs> observed that to me. I realize she like associates it with McDon- burping up McDonald's yeah, French fries. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, that might be like your own private experience there, Rosemary. Honey, have you but ever seen ever lose it? <laughs> Honey, have you ever seen where Daddy tried to coyote? <laughs> uh, we one time, speaking of uh, belching stuff up, uh, we were floating a river for ducks one time for a day. And we had someone had taken a dry bag and put all the lunch shit. It was my buddy, Eric, put all the lunch shit in the dry bag, but also put, uh, um, uh, not a fuel canister, but like, you know, the, the white gas. Remember everybody yeah. used to use white gas yeah. for camp stoves? Uh-huh. Cause it was the winter time. So he throws the white gas can in and the food and the, the stove same- all in the same rubber dry bag. And that white gas got out. Oh my God. <laughs> and, you could kind of like eat it. You'd sort of faintly know that there's like a what. Like, it was almost like you're smelling white gas while eating. But I'm not kidding you, man. I don't know what it was. For hours afterward, burping up like purely clean. Like it was so. It was felt like you could blow flame balls. Really, <laughs> the way that white gas would would ever concentrate and belch back up, and it was like you're like breathing out white gas fume. That is nuts. Yeah, I cannot smell that junk. You know, like if you get like super sick on like Canadian yeah. Hunter when you're 16. Yeah, you can yeah. never smell. Cana- like, yeah, you can never smell Canadian Hunter again. When I smell white gas, still to this day, I still think of that. Still think of that trip. Oh, like belching that, that white gas. That is amazing. You know, because you see all this stuff about food and packaging, and you know now they're big on the bottled water and the plastic bottle. You know, could cause cancer or whatever. And it seems like everything causes cancer. But it was funny because my the kids, you know, Halloween. I remember they had a bunch of peppermints and a couple like Reese's, those little, you know, Halloween pumpkin egg, uh, Reese's egg. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Reese's pumpkin. The peanut, yeah, the peanut butter man, pumpkins. I'm just like, I, I got a weak spot for them. I got to eat it. But I remember just the other day, one had been sitting in there. And I'm thinking, man, this, this thing's got enough preservative. It, it'd survive at the landfill. And it's still in its package. I'm like, I'm eating this sucker. But it'd been in a can like a peppermint. And when I ate it, it tastes like a peppermint peanut butter. Reese's. And oh. it hit me. I think, wait a minute, if all this is airtight, I find that odd. But it's that similar. It made, that it made its way yeah, in there. How yeah, does it do that? Sure. So maybe huh. kind of that theory is correct. You know, you if it's around something, just, is the coffee that's in this cup, is it pulling from this whatever? I don't know. But 
And I've never been one of those guys to think much about it. But To be all paranoid. But the yeah. term now is off-gassing. It's off-gassing. off-gassing. Your furniture off-gasses and poisons you. Really? But also, I think yeah. the product line at the farm is expanding. Yeah. Yeah, you got peppermint, uh, peanut. <laughs> peppermint, <laughs> peanuts. <laughs> peppermint flavored prayer peanuts. Yeah, the story, <laughs> on, on the back, the story will be like, one day I had my peppermints mixed up with my... Uh, what's what's the case? Like? Uh, my Reese's, yeah, cups, it dawned yeah. on me to make yeah. a peppermint peanut cup. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, we're gonna do two things. You're gonna stick around for trivia. Yes. I yes. gotta tell you, man. I'm excited about that. I don't get too excited because here's the thing. <laughs> Guess I don't know why. It's like I'm developing the thing. Guests don't do well. They suck at it usually. And I'm starting to feel like. Um, I don't, know, I don't want to say. I've kind of already said it. You could be jumping the gun here. I'm, you might smoke it, but I'm know. starting to feel like we buy it. There's like a osmotic. Uh, is that a word? What's what's? It, can I get this before we go into it? And maybe it intrigues somebody to come see how the dumb Georgia redneck does on this particular trivia. But what is the subject line? Is it all hunting and fishing? I feel or like is it, it going just, to music. Is it, it going no, no, to no. Pop it's culture? all hunting, fishing stuff. Spread, and I feel fishing. like okay. it's spread out around the country across discipline. But then okay. there'd be people that come in, like Jay Scott. I think of Jay Scott as like encyclopedic yeah. knowledge about he's been like a guide for a million years, fishes, hunts, right? What do you get? I think he got zero. Now. But he's got, <laughs> real, he's got a real narrow focus of like very Was there any coups to your question? In, in defense of our guests, well, Jim Well, it won't Heffel- be last. I know that now. <laughs> Jim Heffelfinger <laughs> gave you a run for the money. He came in second. Tucker Carlson Beat me. gave... It beat. I think he came in third place out of like ten Tucker. people. You beat Tucker, Tucker, but Tucker so, beat me. Okay, yeah. I'm wrong. So, so we, Tucker was we, pretty good in the hunting stuff, Dan. He beat I'm, me. He did well. Really? There was a question That's where impressive. he was the only person to get it right. So okay, never mind. Well, uh, we'll see. We'll awesome. see. Awesome. Well, I gotta say, That's what you shoot for beating Tucker. Now, no we, doubt, man. We um, you'll notice when we put them up the trivia shows, we decided to go Roman numerals, which is boring right now. But we were talking about when we get into a lot of them, it'll be like the Super Bowl where you can't tell what Super Bowl it is. You just have to trust that <laughs> yeah. it's a lot. There's Super Bowl like XX, V, Y, you know. <laughs> so either way, never mind. Because Spencer just presented a lot of information to suggest there's not like a gas curse. And I, I think that it would be fair in future, Spencer, mm-hmm. when considering a guest, yep. maybe like lean their way a little bit. Be like when raising pecans. Now, <laughs> you, I, I made this trivia Proper yesterday. Proper spacing of pecan trees is a four feet. Like questions <laughs> like that. Yeah. Now, now I made this episode or I made this trivia yesterday, and a couple questions I was like, "What else going to get this right?" Oh, you were thinking, was, "Oh, yeah, very now, kind." Now I'm even more nervous and anxious and excited. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, now, yeah. Now, like you're throwing, you're telling everybody, you're throwing them a bone, and if he yeah. bombs, it's going to be like, "Geez, they even leaned his way. <laughs> <laughs> they leaned his way, and he still bombed." Uh, okay. Uh, tell us, uh, tell everybody the best way to go find Bone Collector, to find you, to find your uh, pecans on a prayer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, obviously, social media. You can go to uh, Bone Collector. We're on Instagram, Facebook. Obviously, uh, I'm on Twitter, and then also just BoneCollector.com. So yep. uh, you guys got a lot of stuff on YouTube. We do. We got yep. a lot on YouTube. You know, we still air on Outdoor Channel and. Uh, Obviously, every nine o'clock Eastern time we air, or nine thirty. I'm you sorry. You guys libraries on my outdoor TV too. Yes, we're yeah. on MOTV, yeah. uh, Bone Collector there, and then we got some other stuff that we're doing over on Waypoint as well. Just, just, just trying to do our best to kind of spread the good word of, of the outdoors and and having fun with it. And let everybody know us for everybody. But yeah, it's it's a uh, it's there. Y'all check it out for sure. We'll drag them down. Um. Okay. Trivia. 
Game okay. on, suckers. Let's do it, baby. All right. <laughs> okay, so stick around. Stay on the, the Meat Eater podcast feed, and you will see Game On, suckers, volume three, very soon, featuring Michael Waddell, the pecan farmer. <laughs> This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. It is a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that they need and that meets them where they are and helps them get through challenges. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible. It's simple to use. You can connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.